0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey everyone. Welcome back to making waves with me, Tom Prather. Today we have world famous tattoo artist, Frankie orange on the podcast. I've wanted to interview Frankie for the longest time. And I kept hearing that he was the nicest guy in the world. And I'm happy to report back to you that in fact, he is, we had a blast in this episode where we talked about traveling the world with the likes of NSYNC. Metallica and the Rolling Stones as not only a tattoo artist, but how Frankie wore many hats as a tour crew member, all the while living a clean, straight edge life. We discussed how tattooing Justin Timberlake made him famous overnight and what medical condition forced Frankie to retire from tattooing. That led to Frankie owning Orange Tattoo Company in Annapolis, Maryland. But most importantly, we talked about how being a dad is the most important job he's ever had. I want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Jesse Itzler's BYLR, 30 Days of Excellence, and iconic clothing brand, Britches Great Outdoors. Bridges is a world-famous clothing brand that changed the face of fashion as we know it. They're the company that brought the rugby to America and the creators of the iconic Warthog logo. I've been wearing Bridges since I was a little kid, and they're back after a 20-year hiatus better than ever. I like to say that Bridges is prep with a punk rock attitude mixed with a little bit of surfing. Right now, our listeners get an exclusive 10% off your order at warthog.vip. Just use code WAVES, W-A-V-E-S, at checkout. If you've spent any time on Instagram, or a bookstore for that matter, you know Jesse Itzler as famous entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and best-selling author of books like Living with the Seal. But Jesse is also founder of BYLR, Build Your Life Resume. 30 Days of Excellence is a BYLR program that offers live weekly life coaching with some of the world's best experts in their field, like legendary Wim Hof, best-selling author and brain coach Jim Quick, and neurosurgeon and medical expert Sanjay Gupta. It's hosted by Jesse and former Navy SEAL and endurance athlete Chad Wright, and retired NFL player and celebrity trainer Mark Brown. I've been involved with BYLR since 2018, and I'm actually on these calls every Wednesday, and they're amazing. When you sign up for 30 days of excellence, you get four live calls a month, access to Jesse's Build Your Life Resume course, which is normally a $399 value, one challenge theme a month, a 30-day roadmap for successful habits, and unlimited access to past calls. It costs only $60 a month for all that, but if you're a Making Waves listener, you'll get 50% off your first month to give it a try. Just go to BYLR. Click on 30 Days of Excellence and use the code WAVES, W-A-V-E-S, at checkout. So in the words of my nine-year-old son, let's get on with it. Here's my conversation with Frankie Orange. Frankie. Yeah, man. Been wanting you on here for a long time. Fellow Maryland boy. Um. I'll tell you later how I learned about you, which is not what you would expect. <laughs> um, but I'm like, why am I not friends with Frankie? So, all right. We're going to start this off with a rapid fire questions. Everybody gets the same questions. As you know, you probably heard it. I think, I, I think I'm going to go 100% on you. I think I know. So here we go. Dogs or cats?
1: Dogs. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Rolling Stones or Beatles? This one's going to fool you. I'm, I'm going to choose the Beatles. See that? That's where I had 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 you wrong. I, I can tell you why later. All right, tell me. Okay. Tell me why now. Well, well. So I worked for the Stones. Yeah. And uh, on the Forty Licks tour, and um, I, I honestly, know. out of my twenty year span, it's the one I liked the least. And I I I loved my job on all the tours, no matter what the genres were. But um I hate to say it, but for me personally, Mick Jagger was a complete uh letdown. The other guys, the the best, the best. It's it's just him. Like what? Um, like
0: Prima Donna kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, you know, like look, like I get it. Like when you hold these jobs with these people, they're not there to be your friend. They don't want your cell phone number um and i don't want theirs i I don't want to be their friend most of the time either you know like i get the professionalism but he's just he's one of those guys where like when he's coming down the hall you're supposed to try to and avoid avoid that at that time or if he is coming through to not make eye contact and um you you got the no no eye contact Yeah. So of course I made eye contact. I was, I've never been fired from a job in my life. And I was like, how amazing would it be to get fired for making eye contact with Mick Jagger? Right. But, you know, look again, like I I get, they don't want to be obligated. They do give you a paycheck. They don't owe you anything, but, but the way I see it is I'm also away from my family. I'm here to do my job. I don't care if you say hi to me or not. So the fact that you need to put these staples in place, I mean...
0: So I want to get into this later in deep dive because you said something interesting that I want to follow up on. But real quickly, before we get back to the questions, do you think that was his edict or do you think that was the manager's just... Definitely
1: him. Because the other guys... I'm I'm telling you, like someone like Keith Richards, if he passed you in the hallway, he would he would say, Hey Tom, you know, before I'm going to stage, can I get you a drink? You that's that Keith Richards. Oh, that's You know, awesome. um, Charlie, Ronnie, like they they were very um friendly and and again, though I don't want to cross that line that they sh- need to be your friends. My point being is that Look, when you're working, you know, 20-hour days, um, someone, you know, being nice to you and kind to you, just a simple wink, goes a long way for some people, especially for maybe someone like, you know, me. I, I work with the artist pretty often, but what about the sixth lighting guy? no one knows who he is if you came by and you just cracked a smile at him you made you made that guy's tour well
0: it's yeah. it's that but it's also it's like a movie set you know and you're with the same people yeah. very closely yeah. Um, you're living with them yeah. for months and months at a time you eat together with catering you you do everything together so more times than not movie sets TV commercial sets more so movie sets because it's a longer process yeah everyone becomes family yeah. and the, the you know you have those Mick Jaggers of the world yeah. um, that don't want to be a part of that but then you have the I would say the majority of the people that I've worked with, we're just cool, and you know. And again, you may not have their phone number. You may, I don't know, but it's. We'll yeah. get into that later. I have an interesting story about yeah. that. Yeah.
1: So, so for me, it's the Beatles.
0: Um, okay. Even though only I do because love them only because of that. Only. Um, Take attitude aside. Music wise, who would
1: you? Pick? Music wise, I I, I would have probably picked the Stones, but I will tell you what I call the drug years of the Beatles, like the long hair, like beard Beatles. Yeah. I love that stuff. Okay, I do. I do love it. So, um, so Mick scarred the the stones for <laughs> I, me. They tell you not to meet your heroes. <laughs> they tell you that. Yeah,
0: you had no choice. No. Um, all right, Coke or Pepsi?
1: Uh, Pepsi. So you had me wrong on that too. If if you look up anything on me, all the suicidal tendency stuff, it's yeah. I guess so. I, didn't, I completely overlooked that. <laughs> Uh, beach or mountains? Beach. Uh,
0: PC or Mac? Mac. East coast or west coast? West coast. Kramer or Costanza? I would go Kramer. Uh, Superman or Batman? Superman. And then I think I know this one. Kardashians or Osbournes?
1: Osbournes.
0: You saw that post I had yeah. maybe this morning on. <laughs> yeah. You <yeah. Yeah.
1: laughs> put my
0: favorite Aussie song on yeah. there too. Yeah. All right, so listen, my friend. You are a legendary tattoo artist, tour manager, businessman. I think most importantly, father. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, that's my that's um,
1: my prized possession. I love I love being
0: a dad. Well, okay, so I was going to save this for later. I found out about you because of Six. Oh, so my daughter and I were sitting there one day. I think it was I want to say Hulu, maybe Hulu, and uh, we started watching. Um, the kicks uh, Amazon. So it, yeah, Amazon. That's yeah. right. Okay. And we were sitting there and we did a whole like marathon of it. Yeah. And she just was enamored with your daughter. And then as kids do, she started pulling her up on Instagram and she's like, Hey, look, they're from an app, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, who's that guy that's always in that picture. <laughs> and then I found out it was you. And then I started looking up going, Oh man, he's done this and this and this and this. So thanks to six, thank her that we, you know, yeah. we're here together today. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but so we'll talk about fatherhood later. But tell me about your early years. You grew up in Annapolis.
1: Yeah, I grew up in Annapolis. Um, like super young parents. My parents uh, just two weeks ago hit their fiftieth year anniversary. Wow. They had me at sixteen and seventeen. And they've never even had another boyfriend or girlfriend like they they come from big families, you know, like eight brothers and sisters, seven brothers and sisters. So, you know, in that time when you have a kid that young, you know, my grandparents were like, you guys better get jobs. We we have enough kids to take care Mm -hmm. of, We, you know, and uh, and and, you know, as I think back on like how hard that was uh, for them. But the flip side is, is I'm so lucky because as I was growing, they were growing with me. So they really had like a great understanding of my life, you know, um, you know, just to give you like a, well, a couple examples, like my, my mom used to ride BMX bikes with me and, you know, throw footballs with me and, and like when i was when i was 12 i was i can still remember this i was listening to 98 rock in my bedroom and um let me back up a step i had caught the looks that kill video on mtv and you you know being from annapolis it's very preppy very Mm -hmm. Sailbodie, I love it. I I love Annapolis. This is no shot at it, but it's a it's a proper kind of preppy town. So when I saw that Motley Crue looks that kill video, I was like, "What planet are these guys from?" Like, I I just I, I never had saw anybody like that. You know, what did you listen to prior to that? Prior to that, you know, it was what was on the radio so you know my you know everything from like said what would be on 98 rock so typical like ACDC you know things like that Mm -hmm. um you know at that point even the glam metal or glam rock I should say hadn't made it to radio um you you were not hearing any Metallica or anything even at that point because Th- those bands were only one to two years old at that time you know yeah and yeah. um and so do you listen to dc 101 at all i did a little but i i i favored okay, 98 and underground rocker. and 98 rock to be honest okay um they were more like
0: rock rock stations. yeah
1: yeah pat benatar you know mm-hmm. like stuff like that and um well i was in my room and i heard that ozzy osbourne was coming to the capitol center and the opening act was, was Motley Crue. So I go downstairs and I tell my mom I'm like, "Look, we have got to get tickets to this concert." Well, my mom is a massive Ozzy Osbourne fan. So that was my that was my <laughs> shoe in, right? She didn't care about Motley Crue. It was the fact that you want to go see Ozzy like so we go to the Hex in the Annapolis mall where the ticket master oh, was, my you know, gosh did you camp out no no but but I got to see my first concert I got to see Motley Crue and shout the devil opening for Ozzy um and then it was just off to the races because I was like my mom loves to go to concerts with me so we saw Metallica master puppets with Cliff Burton opening for Ozzy we saw we saw twisted sister we saw motorhead we we saw i mean it didn't matter <laughs> we just went me and my mom you know my dad you know he 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 understood me but he wasn't interested you know my mom was yeah, like yeah. let's let's do it right so immediately you know of course i i stopped cutting my hair you know i was playing a lot of sports and stuff but i i was so influenced by mtv to to be honest sure. like to put that visual with with music was see so you and i we're a year apart I yeah think. and we
0: came up in the and listened to literally the same radio station probably went to the same concerts um i miss those times you know like going to hex to that little ticket booth that they had there i went to the one in temple hills like Marlow yep. heights but, you know, I was in Annapolis all the time. Yeah. And, like, I had the same experience with I my... It's funny. They thought I was really, really strange when I was a kid because I would lock myself in a room and listen to John Williams' uh, record players with the soundtrack of Star Wars. Yeah. So that was my musical, like, foundation. I taught myself how to play piano at five, I think because of listening to all that, like, for a year straight. Yeah, But then I can see my evolution into harder and harder and harder where I was listening to like my first concert was Brian Adams at the Capitol center. But then that turned into like survivor, which was a little bit more edgier. And then that was night. I remember writing night Ranger on a a book, but the spring of 1986, I think I was 14. Um, I heard Van Halen and that just changed my life till this day. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had that same experience where my older sister she knew they wouldn't let me go to the 5150 tour in 86 but <laughs> uh they just thought it was satan's music yeah my mom did. yeah and the, the the i would i lost a couple see yeah i got them back the cassettes and stuff but my sister took me to the hex in boston commons mall in arlington and we camped out in the snow and that was my first taste of metallica because i didn't know what metallica yeah. was and they scared the crap out of me, <laughs> these guys. They, I woke up, and they're pouring bourbon on, a like, a bush right next to me. It's on fire. Yeah. felt great because it was snowing at the time. Like, we literally camped out snowing. But, like, do you remember those times yeah. when you'd go, to like, to the music store and the, the smell of the cassette Man, and all that? It's
1: the best, like, you know, I, I – so, Six, you know, she – she has a great understanding of that. Of course, living with me, I I have taken her. You know, it's kind of a it's so I've I've raised her alone since ten. So yeah. it's been a give and take. I'll go to the Taylor Swift shows, but you know, you're gonna go with me to see Corrosion of Conformity. And, you know, <laughs> she's seen Lamb of God, she's seen Slayer, she's and um yeah. and it's really great because she really gets it. Like she was so disappointed that high school wasn't the breakfast club, you know? Because yeah. these are the feelings you're talking about, like waiting in line for those tickets and then having to keep that ticket in your bedroom and not lose it for two months, because you're looking forward to the show. It, yeah. it just gives so much more meaning and like creates memories of then the instant gratification. Will you earn it. Yeah. You know,
0: so for me, the funniest, the funniest memory that I have, and it's not a specific one. It's when you heard a song back then, it was only on the radio. Yeah. So you had to record it. And inevitably, the DJ's talk up the first 15 seconds of the intro of the song became a part of the song. So even when three months later, after, you know, the single had been out and the album came out. Psychologically, you still heard that DJ the first couple months that you listened to that yep, album.
1: It became part it's of the. It's like track. little
0: things, like it did, mm-hmm, yeah. and I I miss
1: those days. Yeah, you I know? feel I, the I, same with like MTV. Like I, oh, like loved. I really truly loved MTV. I remember coming home in the afternoon and they would have like a thirty minute uh metal block and Carrie King. When he still had long yeah. hair and had the nail bracelet, he would come out with his guitar and he would smash it against a gong. <laughs> and they would have... And it was like that 30 minutes I was glued to... Even yeah. though even though I'm not going to lie, I was... I love music videos. It could be Madonna. It could be... Mm-hmm. It, it literally could be anything. You know, Simple Minds, like what, whatever. Like, I just loved the the storyline and the image and the and and it when i listened to the song i there was things i could picture with it and and stuff that i could still to this day i could put on if if you know vh1 classic or someone's playing videos i can put it on and just i don't really care what comes on it could be new edition it could be uh-huh. you know like i have really enjoy music videos um and it I've been it
0: I've been thinking that they need to bring MTV back like the way it was. Like even make it a YouTube channel. Like just dedicate some type of
1: They tried like, they my tried kids with know TRL. They they actually yeah. did try with TRL a couple years ago and um you know, it's different. It it's the instant gratification. You it, it you know, the fact that you can go to YouTube and you can and just watch any video and listen to any song whenever you yeah. want there's no reason to watch it. I mean, that's, that's the, unfortunate.
0: there isn't, I don't watch any of these award shows anymore. I tried to watch the Grammys a couple days ago and I was just sickened by the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know. It's sad, man. I, so I have my daughter's turning 12. My son just turned nine. And uh not so much him. He's been to a handful of shows, but like she was my concert buddy. Yeah. Which starting it like I took her to a so mighty mighty Ballstones. Awesome. How what is your connection with those guys? I'm gonna skip around because I noticed a while ago you had like sponsoring a racing team or something. So
1: I, I have it, a youth motocross team. And and um next year it will be it will be ten years old. And okay. um basically Uh, long story short, um, I, I love, I I love doing stuff for the kids. I love anytime I'm going to, if you want me to make a donation to something, it's going to be kid related. It's, it's not, it's not going to be the police. It's not going to be the fire department. It's not going to, if it will be a function for kids, that's, that's where I like to do it, you know? And, um, I met this little kid, uh, Clayton Stockstill at the time. He was like like six years old, and um, and he was a little motocross racer, and I got interested in him. And even though I'm into motocross or motor- motorcycles, I've never got into motocross. And it was something that six and I really enjoyed that neither of us took part in, you know, because mm-hmm. she she was a soccer player and I had my and. You know, so it was nice for us to go enjoy something that didn't involve us. So I sponsored this kid. But I basically what I did is instead of just giving him money, um, I went and I got a bunch of sponsors. Everything that you would need to race, I got it. And I created a team and I basically made it where it was academically driven. So I'm not going to necessarily pay attention to your... Finishes. I'm. I'm just. I just want you to be, you know, um, well educated, a good sport, and really having a good time. Like, embrace these values. I do not want it to be mistaken with the participation trophy. I don't agree Mm -hmm. with the participation trophy. That's not what this is. It's just the thing with motocross is, for starters it's so rare to ever become a pro um if you are going to become a pro it's so hard on your body you're never going to make mm. it past 30. so if i could instill um these things in them i felt that it would carry on to a better part of their life you know what i'm saying so yeah, so yeah. if you do the right thing in school and you're a good person and no matter what's going on at the track, you're realizing that I'm having a good time. I think that later on in life, when you go to get a college education or you go on to your career, you know that like what you put in is what you're going to get out, and and that yeah. will be recognized. And if you're just because you're winning the races, if you're a, a little ungrateful, you know, jerk. No, no one wants that. No one, no one wants that even in the professional world. Like, I don't want to work with you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, it went so well that I started picking up other riders, even though and I still am with Clayton today. Um, How old is he now? He is 15 and a half. He's just about to get his learner's permit. Oh, um, and that that's basically what it's about. So I Many, many years ago, 2002, I did the Warp Tour, Tour Managing Good Charlotte, and the Ballstones were on the tour, and I I always loved them. Well, Mm -hmm. then, Clayton, his dad, who's right around our age, he used to play in ska bands, so their family loves ska, and Clayton loves the (laughs) Ballstones. Well, then, you know, connecting, 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 um, my friend Toby Morris, who sings for H2O... Um, uh, he's, have you listened to his podcast? No. He's got a podcast called One Life, One Chance Podcast. Okay. It is awesome. Really, really awesome. I love you that check band. it out.
0: I just, no one knows that band, and I love that they, band. They, I, I, they still play. Yeah. I found out about that band, so I worked with the Ballstones for a number of years. Oh, okay. And, um, when they would come into town. Yeah. And, um, I remember... It's being on the side of the stage, kind of like this, just watching H2O. And I was just mesmerized by them. And then I look over to my left and Dickie from the Boss zones is there, kind of doing the same thing. He's like, what do you think of these guys?
1: And we just had to talk yeah. about it. But they're great. Yeah. Like a yeah. great punk. Yeah. Like just awesome. So, so awesome. Toby is obviously friends with them. And when Six yeah. and I lived in L.A., um we would sometimes go down to the Kimmel show and hang in the green room mm-hmm. and Dickie works for Kimmel. And, yeah. uh, so then we, I got to know him a little bit as well, but it, he's on the reason the Ballstones are on the dirt bike is all because Clayton just it's his tribute to the Boston, uh, okay. you know, which is really yeah. cool to see a 15 year old today know who that band is. But, um, yeah you should you should definitely check out toby's podcast it's, i will it's absolutely very like pma um it does bands it does actors it does um just good people like just just you know good positive just people in the community it's not like mm-hmm. you would think it would just be a big warp tour reunion that's that's not it at all he does yeah. you know Anyone that I think he feels like would get like, and he does it all from his kitchen. They have to come in his kitchen (laughs) and sit at the table and do it with him. Oh, that's great. It's really, it's really cool. So unexpected
0: too. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think, (laughs) you know, H2O singer. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. They have one of my all time favorite songs. What's that? And now I can't, it's the song. um, God, I can't remember that now I'm having a brain fart now. It's the song that starts off with a girl talking.
1: (gasps) Oh yeah 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 yeah.
0: Um, I'm gonna have to pull my phone out. It's one of my all-time yeah. like the, the the lyrics of that song yeah. are just like more profound than you think. A, like a ratty little
1: punk band yeah. would write. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Toby is the king of of PMA, and that one life, yeah. one chance before it became his podcast. It's a it's a non profit that he does and he goes and he, oh. he speaks at like high schools and things like that, you know. Um, because, you know, he is he is a straight edge guy. He is covered in tattoos. His son Max is uh one of six's best friends. Max is one year younger. Um and um he's just an awesome dad. Moon's an awesome mom. And um and I think it's his you know, his impression that he has on the kids is like, I can look like this and I can live this life, but I didn't fall to drugs and I didn't fall to alcohol and I, I didn't fall to like gang violence. And, you know, in, I mean, even though he speaks everywhere, he lives in L.A. now and L.A. is is it it's so accessible for all of that, you know. So he's a great role model for the community. How'd you stay out of that? Or did you? I've never even tasted a beer. I've never, really? I've never done anything ever in my life. Um, my my dad was um, one of those guys that, like, he was a beer drinker, especially, like, if you're, like, mowing the grass. Like So yeah. I didn't have any bad experiences. Um, I, d- I don't come from, like, a super religious family or anything. It was just um, I loved motorcycles, which I thought was a bad combination. And I – I just like being (laughs) in control, you know, like, like, it just, yeah, but all those tours
0: and we'll get into all that, but like, that's amazing.
1: This might be a little bit off topic, but something that I struggle with as a parent is, um, I, even though I could be that parent that says, look six, you know, I'm the parent. That's why I'm the adult. Mm -hmm. that's why like you could you could you could power through that if you wanted if you wanted to be that parent but like i i feel like that i like to justify things to her like i um meaning that like i i don't want to say to her um you shouldn't do it but it's okay that i do it Mm -hmm. um I really, really try my best to lead by example. I realize we have a huge age difference and there, and we're at different points in our life where there's things that I may do that she shouldn't do only because of the age difference. But how, how could I possibly tell you weed's bad for you if you know, I'm, I'm, I'm smoking weed all day, every day, you know, like I, so I don't know you know like that's that's always been a tough argument for me is is you know parenting um t- how do you justify that in your kids it's hard because they see it kids see it kids see hypocrisy yeah. i mean she 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 has a lot of faith in me you know as far as you know when i make a decision even if it's not always the correct decision she she, I think she sees why I made the decision, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I just can't, there's no way I could say to her, um, it's cool for me to do this, but you should never do this. Yeah. I I just, you know, I so can't do that.
0: In my mind, we're doing this interview completely backwards, but maybe we're not because, so I'll, I'll tell you this, I've just met you for the first time today, but you've been on my radar for the last couple of years. And one thing I'll say to you, dad to dad, is that I adore the relationship that it appears that you have with with six. Um, And it's just, you can, people see it, you know? And it's something that a lot of dads should look into. I'm reading this book and have been. It's called Strong Fathers Raising Strong Daughters. And it's really all about you and I are the most important thing and the most important relationship to these daughters that we have period. And that's another thing that's not really discussed. And we have so many, you know, families that don't have dads or they're there, but they don't connect or they're not engaged in that way. And um, I just want to tell you, man to man, I I, I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate the relationship you have with your daughter. And quite honestly, it's been an inspiration to me watching from afar, you guys interact
1: with each other. That really means a lot because it is, you know all the music stuff and all that stuff it's it's really cool yeah but really she you know being her dad is that's really all that matters it doesn't it doesn't come with a check it doesn't come you know what i mean it, it not only doesn't come with a check <laughs> <laughs> it, it asks a lot of money from you dude it's but it's truly the best and and there are some bad times i mean you, you know like I will tell you like age 14 to 16. Oh, don't, don't, don't. I don't want to hear it. You know, I, I honestly, there was times oh, no. where I was like, what was I thinking? Like, like, how did, how did I think this was going to be? How did I think she would just be the, the one special one? And then, you know, and then I think it's up to you as a parent to really try to understand not only them as a teen but as becoming a woman right you're a male right so so now you have to understand that some of her actions she can't even control yeah you know like it she's some of it she can and the things that she can't you would never tell her that you know that because now she'll use that as a crutch. So the
0: interesting thing you just said though, in the book that I'm reading, it specifically says in that age frame that you're talking about is that they're going to do things just to test you just to see if you still stick around. Definitely. And that's the key. Just regardless of what it is, ride the boat and and take it wherever it goes, be the leader, but like never, ever, ever let them feel that you've, you've given up or you know that's the secret
1: and it's it's been it's been really awesome um it's it's you know what's cool is like and you know this feeling is it doesn't matter how crappy of a day you have or what's going on in your life they're stoked that you're you they're stoked that you're their dad they're they're stoked that you're on their team and that i think that conquers everything you know and and i you know even through my years of like touring and stuff like that i take a lot of pride in my work i always um give it 110 percent but at the end of the day it's a job and and i know that when i get to go back home i'm gonna be her dad and it doesn't really it doesn't matter to James Hetfield. It doesn't matter to Tim McGraw. It doesn't and it doesn't matter to the fans, and it doesn't matter how many tickets we sold, and it doesn't matter how many tractor trailers we have. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just a concert. You know, and you know
0: what's cool about that though? They're the James Hetfields of the world that feel the same way we do. Yeah. So even though they're on, you know, doing their thing and it's a means to an end, they still would rather be back home. Or the family's with them out, you know, on tour as well, or on set yeah. or something like that. And it's funny, it's like those of us that feel that way kind of gravitate towards each other because we know yeah. what's what's real, you know?
1: Yeah. It's- yeah. And and the fact the the fact that there's some parents that don't take advantage of that time. I, I don't really understand it. I mean, I don't connect with everything that crosses my path in my life, but right. this is one thing that is, it's part of you. Like, how could you, how could you not connect with this? How could this not be the most important thing I'm telling how you, is this bothersome?
0: It's so I'm sure. So I lost my dad eight years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure he hates when I bring this up, but I think it's important to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, We didn't talk for 12 years. And when I was a kid, he was there, but he wasn't emotionally there. So it's like I remember still what it felt like to go, hey, um, do you want to go throw the ball around? Well, after this TV show or after this or after this. And it was never, yeah, "Yeah, let's do it right now. And I don't recall him ever asking me, ever once, hey, how was your day? (laughs) I don't recall that at all. But it was still, I mean, I don't want to paint a uh, he just wasn't emotionally connected. He, yeah. he blamed the f- his lack of relationship with his dad, and I always just thought that was BS because we all have the choice to make decisions. And my mom has asked me over the years. So let, let me go back a little bit. We didn't talk for 12 years. My parents literally one he came home late one night. Uh, they got to a big fight. They, he left the next morning, moved out of the house, like that, literally like that. So I didn't talk to him for 12 years after that, I was pissed off but we got back together and we learned a lot about each other um, for 10 years prior to his death and Mm -hmm. it was awesome. And we, Mm -hmm. I just, I got an appreciation and for why he did the way I still don't understand it, but I, I understand why he felt that, you know, different Mm -hmm. time. He didn't know how to, you know, whatever. But my mom has asked me over the years, you know, how you didn't have quite honestly, the best of, parents you know i've let you down here and there and and your dad you know you felt that you wanted him more in your life how did you become this parent that you that you are now and my answer was well i always knew those excuses were bs and i knew what i wanted as a kid so why wouldn't my kids want those same things so if i right. just give those to them and that's the one thing about parenthood that um you know, what, what would I want in this situation? And I know they're individual exactly. people, and but overall, you know, kids just want the same thing. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want attention. So, like, yeah. people make fun of me all the time. I play that game Fortnite with my kids like it's a religion because it's connecting yeah. me to the kids, you know? And yeah, exactly. My son will come down yeah. and go, you want to play Pew Pew? And I'm like, let's do it. It's never yeah. <laughs> a, unless I'm on a call like this, it's never a, all right, let's do it now. So it's probably yeah. to my fault i'm like let's whatever it is that you want to do let's do it now
1: yeah yeah do you think that like um do you think that though a li- i'm with you there's no excuse you you can make changes in your life and make choices but do you think it also comes with just like the era and the generation that I do. they are it's hard because- for me to
0: admit that because I don't know. I don't know why that's hard for me to admit. It took a long time for me to come to that. And I knew my grandfather. Um, yeah. It was always my dad's dad was an alcoholic, but my grandfather wasn't. So he, yeah. he straightened out some point in but the middle. He wasn't
1: getting that love and compassion either.
0: Dude, I, I, so my dad got lung cancer, brain cancer, and um, he fought for 16 months. And I remember one time. I'm like, hey, listen, you're like the gatekeeper of this stuff. We all kind of knew where it was going, and I'm like, I'm gonna drive you downtown, and I just you tell me when to make lefts and rights, and just show me where you grew up, and show you know, tell me stories and yeah. stuff. And yeah. we were in Anacostia and um, we drove by the fire station there, and just like, like, as easy it would be for him to say, yeah, my favorite color's blue, he just looked at the fire station, because, yeah, that's where they that's where they would drop me off. I'm like, what does, that, what does that mean? He goes, oh, they would go out drinking and have the fire fire guys uh, babysit me. Look after me. Yeah. And that's so foreign of a thought for us mm-hmm. nowadays. Like, what do you mean? Like, they don't mm-hmm. do that. But mm-hmm. I heard it in his voice how much that hurt him.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it stuck with them all those years. And I, I think that treatment and other things that he told me just paralyzed him when mm-hmm. I came around. I was mm-hmm. his first
1: kid and mm-hmm. um, he just didn't know what to do you know? and how to express it and how to express yeah. it. Cause, cause you know, when you hear me talk about my parents, her- my parents, you hear me say my mom, my mom, my yep. mom, my dad, again, he's still married to my mom. He's still in my life. Um, but he, he was not a part of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I, I feel like it's kind of the same thing. You know, my grandfather, I'm a third, I I used to stay at my grandparents' house all the time and I remember how my grandfather was and, and I, and I see it. And, um, of course at the time as a teenager, I, I didn't really like him for it because, you know, when I, he's never, he's never seen me play football. He's never seen me play ice hockey. Um, he was a construction worker during the day and a volunteer fireman for 35 years. Um, but, i'm an only child and then when i had six um it something got into him he one day i you know we were burning some stuff in the backyard and he's like he's like i know i missed everything with you but i will not miss anything with her like it's 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 the i've realized it and she is you and i can't i it's the only way i'm going to experience the youth you know and stuff like that and as much as like at the time i was so resentful you know like gosh i i was i was probably the only kid that did not like firemen like honestly like every kid wants to to get on a fire truck and i hated those guys i had nothing good for them like you know totally different obviously now but you know and then i don't know if you've you've read any of uh nikki six's stuff mm-hmm. um but he talks about how much you know his grandmother raised him and how much you know uh hate he had for his dad and he recently wrote something about like you know now that i'm at this age and da i I'd never really looked at it through my dad's eyes. And even though I don't necessarily agree with everything, it, it, I, I wish I could have saw it from his side then. Yeah, it would have changed a lot of things. What he was going through and what he was feeling. And, and we won't ever realize that until no. we're older,
0: you know? So I had a lot of resentment towards my dad. And in those 10 years that we patched things up, there were still times where I just scratched my head going what like i don't like i'll tell you a really quick story uh i got food poisoning they didn't know what it was so i drove myself to the hospital my wife and two kids were were at the house and uh and i was supposed to see either my dad or my mom that day so i texted both of them and said hey listen i I think they're both supposed to come over and uh I can't. I'm in the hospital. Don't worry. They don't know what it is. It's pr- probably nothing. But we have to move this thing. Da da, da 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 That was it. My phone ended up dying. So I get out of the hospital. Come to find out, it was food poisoning. But I talked to him either that night or the next day. I remember this clear as day. And he's like, you know, talking about, oh, I gotta get this new iPhone, and damn thing's not working, and da da da. da. I'm like, dude, did you uh, did you get that text? He goes, yeah, you're in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> like, really that's it and i was just so i was like i gotta go and i just hung up the phone I'm like what i don't what is that he's but i learned to, it sounds so bad and this isn't making excuses it's just i gotta take what i got you know like that's what yeah. that's like that's where his brain is but i will say this i sat across my dining room table from him one day and we would just I'm known for just asking really hard questions out of the blue. Like we could have be a good dinner. I'm like, so why did you leave? <laughs> Cause that's, I mean, I've had to sit with it all these years. Why am I making life yeah. comfortable for you? So we were sitting at the table one day and very similar to your story. I looked at him and I said, I got, I got a question for you. And he's like, what's that? And we we're eating steak. And he, I said, uh, are you, um, are you, are you looking at this as a second chance? He goes, What do you mean? I said, The fact your relationship with your granddaughter is this you trying to be the best dad you could be for me through her? And he goes, Yeah. He goes, I've missed a lot of time and I screwed it up. And by getting close to her in some weird way, I'm even getting closer to you. And I said, Well, it's working. Like, sure. I, it makes my heart feel better and it kind of yeah. closes the gap. And it, it says a lot that you would even do that now, because that's what I wanted. And it, like, it's, it's fixing me that you're doing that. And it's
1: so cool that, um, you know, that I don't want to say this, like, um, I don't, I don't, I guess I I don't, I don't totally know how to say it. But but I just I think I think it's cool that they didn't just give up on it and just be like went this long you know what i mean like why why try now right right? you know like and um that's cool and oh i know what it was is that what you took from it like what you took from who they were then to what they are now and you chose to be who you are and and i feel like as much as we've all had those friends that have had everything. Have had like the best home, family, financially set, and they turned out to be life failures. Um, and what you took from how you grew up and your experiences to what kind of parent you have become and your values, it it's sort of like it was meant to work out that way.
0: Yeah. Well, it was a decision, though. I, I'm. Made a decision. I did not want that cycle, that family cycle, to continue. Yeah. I wanted my last. I wanted to feel good about my last name. I didn't yeah. want to look back and go, yeah. "Oh, it happened again." It. Yeah. I just was like, "It's not happening again." Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love this conversation because I yeah. have a ton of. I, I mean, we haven't even talked about your career and all that stuff, but this <laughs> is the important stuff. I think so. It's. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's well, a, and, and
1: like you, real quick, like when you said, "Well, people think." you know, you smoke weed, like, dude, like, between drugs, alcohol, and the Hell's Angels, you know, <laughs> everyone assumes I'm a part of all that. And I'm just a, I was a glorified soccer dad, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I just look the part of all that craziness. But I, I was just a soccer dad and a and a stage dad, you know, like, the only great thing behind it was, when we go into auditions, and I sit in the room, everyone stays clear like they don't those moms will not come anywhere near me i don't have to talk about all that stupid crap and all that they just prejudge and i i love it it saves me all the all the the crazies and the fakes you know yeah that's awesome
0: all right so let's get into the career um you if i do i understand this correctly you wanted to be a tattoo artist at 12
1: yeah like i I loved, again, such a weird thing because it wasn't big in my family, you mm. know. Um, but I somehow I I just really took the tattoos. I really loved them. Do you remember the um, first
0: tattoo you saw that you were like, oh, I, I want that?
1: Yeah. Um, and I didn't get that tattoo, but I knew when I when I saw it, I was like, dude, I'm going to have something like that. Is, um, Harley from the Cro-Mags has that big dragon on uh-huh. his chest and um i saw the cromags open for motorhead i didn't even have a driver's license and when i saw that chest tattoo i was like i'm 100 percent like i'm getting something like that like yeah, i just yeah. thought he looked so cool
0: um do you by the way a little detour do you remember how loud that motorhead concert was
1: loud, They're loud. like like i mean ears ringing yeah. to the next day you know Um, That was, like, filthy fill on drums Uh still and so, so good, you know. Um, It was at Warner Theater in D.C. Oh, wow. Yeah. The chairs were completely, like, torn out of the place. um, Yeah, so um, I just loved them. I expressed it to my mom. I loved them. And she said, um, as cool as she is, she said, if you get a tattoo – even a day before you're 18, I will kill you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fair enough, you know. <laughs> so on my 18th birthday, you know exactly where I was. Um, where was your first tattoo? Like, where did you go to for your first tattoo? So at the time, you know, there wasn't quite as many tattoo shops as there are now, and there was <clears throat> this one in Fort Meade that I knew of um, called Gemini and uh i went in i went in like the week before and i'm looking around the wall and and there was this their their receptionist guy you Mm -hmm. know that helps out in the front he was such a jerk like he you know at that time you you just picked off the wall and they would give you a price and if it was going on a special part of your body there'd be an additional fee for that and, Mm and i was like well I really like that phoenix and I want to get it on my upper arm, but I want to get it up high enough that the the tail feathers actually kind of crest over my shoulder a little bit. <clears throat> and he's like, like chuckling and like, I mean, if you can afford it, you know, and I was like, well, how much will it be? And he told me and, you know, just really kind of like, like made me feel like, well, I I was a 17 year old kid. Like, how are you, you know? So I came in on my birthday and I went right to him and I'm like, I'm getting that one right there today, you know, boom, you know, it's got cash in my pocket and I couldn't wait to make him eat his words. And then literally the very next Friday I was in again. And the very next Friday I was in again. And I was, um, you know, all through my high school years, I was pumping gas on the full serve Island of an Exxon and uh, so between my paycheck and tips and stuff, like, you know, every day, every payday, I would just go and uh, and my mom was like, you know, whatever, you know, you just didn't do it before you were 18. So yeah. I, I don't have one of those stories of like, well, I was in my friend's basement or I got a fake ID or I really, truly waited till my 18th birthday. But within a year, I was already getting like really covered, you know, within a year. <clears throat> yeah, okay. I mean, I'm talking like, I mean, I wasn't buying beer. I wasn't buying cigarettes, you know, so I, I had the cash, you know. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, so that studio, after being in there, I mean, I was in there like almost every day of the week, even when I wasn't getting tattooed, I just loved it. I just loved being in there. I loved having a conversation with the people that were coming in. It was your I barbershop it was your barber shop yeah totally so the lady that owned the place she said well look you're here all the time um if you want you can help customers and i'll just trade you your time for tattoos and i'm like done so (laughs) um so i worked my day job I ended up quitting the gas station. You'll love this, you being a guitar guy. And uh, I got a job at Paul Reed Smith Guitar. That's all my list to talk to you about. Yeah. And uh, what so did you when do I would get off the guitar factory, I would go to the tattoo shop. Well, then after doing that, you know, she she was like, uh, you know, always was interested in tattooing, but whenever you ask someone about an apprenticeship, they immediately just. They'll just chop your head off. Like, I'm not teaching you. And then they like treat you different too. Like they think you're only coming around because you want to learn, you know. So I never brought it up. And she said, Hey, have you ever had an interest in learning how to tattoo? And I'm like, Yes, I have. And I basically said to her what I said to you. I was like, I just was too afraid to ask, you know. And she's like, We've never met anyone more committed. I mean, you're here. Like every day, like you want to be here more than we want to be here, you know. Were you an so, artist um, at any point? Did you draw at that at that time? Did you show um, creative an inclination? You
0: know,
1: like just just like tattoo wise, I never was like, you know, like a painter or nothing more than what you would just take in yeah. junior high, high okay. school, you know. So, I started an apprenticeship. Um, it was a very traditional apprenticeship where back then you were not allowed to be affiliated with any other shop. You couldn't even get tattooed by other people. Like it was, it's not like today, like it was very secretive. Like Mm -hmm. what goes on here stays here, you know? Um, and that's that, you know, well, um, fast forwarding about, I did a five-year apprenticeship. Now keep in mind, five years about 40 hours a week with no pay. So I worked 40 hours at the guitar factory, another 40 hours at the tattoo shop for no pay. But I wanted to learn, you know? And like I said, it's a very old school way of doing things. So um, a a big part of tattoo apprenticeships isn't learning how to tattoo. It's really just testing your loyalty. Hmm. Because once I teach you this trade, you could easily become my competition. Yeah. So, so as far as learning the tattoo, no, it does not take five years to learn how to tattoo. It's just your loyalty, you know, so, uh, about two and a half years in one of my good friends who was affiliated with another shop, um, we went and saw, um, biohazard, Sepultura, and Pantera at Meriwether. And my friend, was one of those people when he gets drinking, he is rowdy. And um, <laughs> he was up on top of the crowd, you know, in the yeah. seated area. And when the security would try and pull him down, he was like kicking them. And well, they finally took got a hold of him and they took him off to the side and they pile-drived him into the embankment and they severed his oh, spine. My gosh. And he instantly was a quadriplegic. Wow. Instantly so he got put at shock trauma was on life support um i i was telling you know obviously my people that were teaching me the tattoo was like you know when i get off i'm going to be going to the hospital my friends there and blah 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 blah, blah. they were butthurt that i was communicating and friends with someone from another shop and I'm like, you guys, like, this is way bigger than tattooing. Like he may not live. I mean, he's like on life support right yeah. now. This isn't about tattooing <clears throat> every day. They kept riding me and riding me and riding me. And finally, one day I was like, you know what, I don't care about learning how to tattoo, like my friends on his deathbed. And if you can't see past that, then you can you know, just find another apprentice. So I quit. And literally that day, as I'm walking into shock trauma, the tattoo shop he was affiliated with was um called Little Vinny's in Westminster. And Vinny was coming out of his room and he asked how it was and how my apprenticeship was going. And I said ironically, I, I literally just quit because they have a problem with me coming here and seeing Brian. And he was so taken by it, he was like, You can just continue your apprenticeship at my shop then. That's that's ridiculous. And what was great about that is they were a bit more new school. So I've gotten a few years of the very old traditional and now the new mm. school, I'm getting both sides. or So otherwise, I was going to give up on the whole tattoo thing. Wow. Um, and then off, you know, went off from there. You know, I became a tattooer and um, well, how did you get noticed by so,
0: these um, bands
1: and stuff? okay so so um around 97 98 um i switched to a shop in georgetown that had just opened called Jinxproof, proof mm-hmm. and um uh was working there and that was was great and um uh i'm trying to think how it all came about i i had i had a friend that i I tattooed on InSync that he, you know, and at this point InSync was just breaking through, mm-hmm. you know, like becoming like massive and um, <clears throat> like no strings attached was they're playing stadiums, you know? And um, he was <laughs> like, uh, he had reached out and he said, you know, the guys in InSync want to be tattooed by you. They had saw what you did on me and, we're going to be playing RFK Stadium, you know, would you come down and, and tattoo? And this, this is so funny. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, not funny because it's in sync. It's just funny how how just things happen. So uh, so when they came to RFK, I went down there, I took off work, and I, I met them all, hung out, like sat there all day and didn't do a single tattoo. So I was like, well, um, thanks for having me. You know, if you guys want to catch up again, you know how to get a hold of me. They were so awesome, you know. And uh, so literally later that week, um, they called and were like, hey, you know, we're going to be we've sold out the garden five nights in a row. And we're also filming an HBO special. Why don't you come spend the week in New York with us? And I was like, "Okay, you know, I can make that happen. So I moved some I moved my schedule around and. And uh I went to New York, they gave me a hotel and private car. And I had one of the dressing rooms in the garden was my room. I was next to Pink, <laughs> who was their opening act, right? That's crazy. <clears throat> I am there five days and I never tattooed any of them. So what was there in, what, in what, New York? They're so busy. You know why like, did you go there?
0: Did you, did you what capacity did you go there like to fulfill?
1: Tattooing? Yeah, just okay. a tattoo, right? So while I was there though, I tattooed Britney Spears, I tattooed uh Summer Altis, who was like playmate of June. What that did year. you do on Britney? Um, I reworked that little fairy on her lower okay. back. Yeah. It was already there. Um, I tattooed a bunch of other people. <clears throat> um but I never tattooed them. So at the end, I was like, you guys, like, thank you for an incredible week. You know, again, you, you know where to find me. And they were like, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And I I was like, well, I'll be doing what I was doing before I met you, you know, just be back in DC. And, And they were like, well, just, just come to the next city. Well, long story short, I never came back home. Like I stayed for the entire leg of the tour, um, and I ended up um, tattooing them. You know, and um, one of them, which was the most like, you know, the the one that really really put things on the map, was not only did I tattoo Brittany during that time, but I tattooed the cross on Justin Timberlake's arm. <laughs> That's you. And that was a that was a big deal. And and you know what's funny is like. When I was just about to tattoo him, he looks me in the face and he's like, you know, this is going to change things for both of us. And I was like, shut up. Like, it's it may change things for you, but unless Why you walk would that change
0: with- things for him, like make him more gritty or something.
1: Yeah, because okay. he didn't have any, you know, I mean, you got to think this is this is the early 2000s, yeah. you know. And they, they, their skin was clean besides some stuff on their legs. Um, and uh, I'm like, if, if my name isn't on your arm, no one's gonna have any idea who I am, you yeah. know? And I'm glad you want me to do this tattoo, but don't blow this smoke up my butt. I don't give a crap. Well, oh my God, he was so right. Like, he, it, it went crazy, like, the, like the next couple of days they filmed like a video and he purposely wore like a wife beater mm-hmm. in the video. And, and but man, when I got back to Georgetown, the, the phone was going crazy. Like all the college students were like wanting to get tattooed by the guy that tattoos Justin and Brittany. And, and there was radio stations calling and, and, you know, it, and then the next thing, you know, uh planet Hollywood contacted me and they were like, we're doing a, a fundraiser. Um, we're selling these t-shirts and the money will go to these charities. And Justin's doing one and Brittany's doing one. And um, Justin said he'd like to do something with you and the cross for the shirt. So um, could we do that with you? And and then before, you, he's a big golfer. And then and there was a golf company that was like, we want to make this cross buckle for him to wear in this like special tournament. It. They had crosses on golf balls, even. It was mind-blowing. It, it really, he was absolutely right. It, it changed everything. And you looked out for it, it sounds like. Yeah, so the leg was over. Um, I was home a few weeks, and then I get a call, and um, basically it, it was sync's people saying, like, hey, um, we wanted to know if you wanted to take a – an actual job on the tour not tattooing and i was like you know i don't i don't know that that's for me you know like they're not a van band. yeah they're they're in sync you know like they're as big as the beatles right now in in the millennium you know and um and they were basically like look we don't really care what you think like <laughs> you're you make them really happy and when they're happy everybody's happy. So it was going to be like taking care of their dressing rooms, like setting up their dressing rooms, and they had like a game room and a tanning bed and like, you know, and, um, and, and it I just remember it coming over me. And I'm like, you know what, like, I know how to tattoo, like, this is an opportunity I, I should take. At the time it it I think my my starting pay was like $800 a week. It was for a band that size, that wasn't nothing, you know? So I took a hit and pay and, and they were like, look on the day off, our crew all has per diem and cash. You can tattoo all you want, but on the work days you're on in sync time. So I took it and um, I did two albums with them. I, excuse me. I did two touring cycles and The same job? Well, that's the thing. So at every leg, it seemed to get more and more and more uh, responsibility. And then I started thinking and I'm like, man, this is as big as it gets. So when they're not in the building and my job's done, I'm going to go see what the carpenters are doing. Before you know it, I even got the accountant to let me sit in on settlements. You know, I was just going to absorb everything I possibly could – so when they finally went on their hiatus in two thousand one, um, Good Charlotte, who's from Maryland, was just getting ready to put out um, uh, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, the young and the the young and the hopeless, mm-hmm. and um, and they were and Benj and Joel, I have known them since they were like little kids on Razor scooters, really? you know? Oh, how about because they were always around Annapolis. Oh, okay. You know, they're from Waldorf. Yeah, yeah. And um, and they were like, hey, you know, would you be our tour manager? And I was like, bench, like, I've never done it before, but I have a lot of faith in what I just experienced. I can figure this out. Cause they were just starting out in B market clubs. You know, I'm like, I, I can figure this out. And he was like, great. Man, halfway through the year, that album got so big, we were headlining arenas yeah. the same year. We went from clubs to the United Center, you know. What kind of tour manager with you? Because I've dealt
0: with tour managers, and they're not generally pleasant to deal with. And you're a nice guy. So, so did you flip a switch, or did you do you things know, Frankie's way?
1: You know, with Good Charlotte, I made a I made a little bit of a, a mistake um because it was such a learning time for me um i came from the a-list is as, as big as it gets every move in part does its part mm-hmm. and um the artists were also very on point and when i got with these guys i really struggled with like um, being on time and things like that. And, um, and I was so wired to be this well-oiled synchronized machine that was really tough for me. And I felt like I went from being a really nice guy to, you know, being frustrated when I look back on it. I don't really think that that was the way that I, I learned a lot from it. That wasn't the way that I should have handled it because, you know what? At the end of the day, like, it's their band. Mm. I mean, if they want to be late, be late. You know, I'm going to give you the advice why, if you're late, it may cost you Oh, this you were demanding
0: money. that they'd be on time. and
1: Yeah, you know, because, you know, there's... I didn't for me, I didn't want them to lose opportunities. This was the biggest time mm-hmm. in their career. They literally went from a club band to an arena band and, and every radio station was going crazy for them. And and so I had a bit of a personal relationship with them yeah. where I really cared. I wasn't like, I don't care if you make the interview, you know. Um but that was okay. So I finished it. How is your relationship um, now with them? good okay good it it ended it it ended fine but we just were not in the same place and i definitely think part of it was just what i had come from Mm. and it's okay you know um if you're not making mistakes you're not you're not learning anything you know so so this is where it gets really funny so i then like as soon as i finished with them one of my friends, who's a stage manager for the Stones, says, "We're going to do this uh, Euro Stadium tour, and we need extra set carpenters because the set is so Huge. giant." Yeah. I I've never been a set carpenter, but I'm like, sure, like just keep putting money in my bank account, like I I'll I'll figure it out. So I went and worked on the set, and you know all that stuff for that tour and and that's just basically how my career went. Like sometimes I'm the tour manager, sometimes I'm a personal assistant, sometimes I'm a set carpenter, sometimes I'm the production manager, sometimes I'm the tour coordinator. And um I, I did this um I did this Spice Girls Reunion <laughs> tour. I did a leg of it. And um this guy Springo who is their production manager and he's like a legend. You know he's he's really, really great at his job and um i really look up to him and he said to me he was i I was a set carpenter for that and uh, they had a guy that originally was hired for the tour and he was having trouble getting into canada so they got rid of him and brought me out and uh he was like i don't understand it you were just a tour manager why are you working as a set carpenter you know like you're going backwards you should never do that and i was like springo like I was like, for starters, I don't care what my job is. You just worry about making sure the money goes into my bank account. That That's all I care about. The other thing is, is when I'm a tour manager, if I've done all these jobs, I'm a better tour manager. When Not only do I know what it takes to do the job, I know what it takes to make a budget because I've done the job. Like, do I really need six people for this? Or could I get away with four? Do I really need this many tractor trailers? Or could I pack it different? Or? So I'm, I'm using all of these what you think is a backstep as an advantage. Mm -hmm. For when I'm back in charge. No one's pulling the wool over my eyes. You know, I, I know how it goes. You
0: remind me a lot of Jesse James, not even tattoos aside. (laughs) <laughs> um, he looks at that as um, a toolbox. You put more tools in your toolbox. And yep. these are nothing but toolboxes and, or the tools yeah. that go in your toolboxes. And the more tools you have in that toolbox, the more valuable you are.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. Especially when it comes to money. that That's the key to everything, right? You know, I mean, when, when I tour managed Rob Zombie, he gave me one of the hardest challenges and I was happily accepting it was I, he told me what he wanted to show to be all the pyro, mm-hmm. all the gags, you know, everything I budgeted it out. And when I took it to him, he says, um, we're a hundred thousand dollars over where I want to be. And he's like, I'm going to be honest with you. If, if I'm not gonna come on tour and make money, I'm gonna stay home and make a movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, there's no incentive, you know. And I was like, I get it. So I went back. I did shave a hundred grand. I gave him options though, uh, like. But if I didn't understand pyro, if I didn't understand the set, if I didn't understand the tractor trailers, that would have never happened. And when I could go to him and say. We're going to lose this effect, but this thing does a very similar thing, and we can use it for two, two different looks, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. And he was like, "Let's go. That's we're on it. That's what we're doing, you know." Like that, you can't do that if you don't, if you're just the boss all the time. Yeah. you're leaving that in other people's hands. Did you continue to tattoo during all these
0: like manager yeah. gigs and? So,
1: yeah, so I did. Um, whenever I would come home, I had my clientele. And, all, you know, awesomely, I tattooed most of the clients that I toured with. Like, I have tattooed Rob Zombie. I have tattooed Tim McGraw. Um, I have tattooed Michelle Branch, you know, like, so. So I have a list here. Um,
0: NSYNC, we covered that. Did you tour with Metallica? Four years. What mm-hmm. capacity?
1: Yeah, so my very first tour of Metallica was in 2004 on St. Anger. It was another European set carpenter thing. Why doesn't anyone like that album? Um, I like that album. I I like the album. I think people's biggest complaint is the drums. They don't like the sound of the drums. Um, and Metallica doesn't play anything off of that album in their set they list. Don't. So, they know what kind of impact it had on their career, you know. I even, um, I even like that Lou Reed thing they did. I didn't like that. There's one song on it that I like, and it's yeah. like, it's,
0: um, I forget the name of it now, but it's it's a little groovy, and it, it is what it is, you know. It's,
1: it's yeah. Lou Reed,
0: but yeah. it's like I don't understand. I mean, I get it. People
1: are so butthurt about that Saint Anger album, though. It's it's, it's a no win situation for Metallica. You know, <clears throat> you've been a band for over 30 years now. If you put out the same album, you get flack for putting out the same album. Yeah. If you try to put out something new, you get flack because it doesn't sound like Master of Puppets. And on top of it, like, they want to play new stuff, they want to stay fresh in their career. If if you have to come, if you had to, if you, every day, you just had to interview the same person.
0: <clears throat> you know, if, I, if, I, I lived through this with the whole Van Halen, Van Hagar thing with, um, you know, there is a divided camp between the David Lee Roth fans and gone. then everything changed with Sammy Hagar. Definitely. And I always looked at that and went, well, wait a minute, like keyboards were introduced in 1984 I'll wait is nut and jump is nothing like what you liked, but you like it because David Lee Roth is on it. But yet that 5150 album rocks. There's three mm-hmm. keyboard songs on it. One doesn't even sound like one, but yet, like, but you're okay with just a gigolo and California. Like he, he's going that way anyway, you know? And yeah. like, yeah. I don't understand. And yeah. it's, I mean, I don't know.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's fans. It's fandom, you know? yeah i mean if they if they released four more master puppets, master puppets wouldn't be that cool anymore no. you know what I mean like you look forward to master puppets i I personally um am a big Metallica fan, and I will tell you that I don't really like any of the Jason newstead years besides injustice all really? like um <clears throat> but I do understand why they did it. Um, you mean with Jason? Really hear... hmm? With Jason in particular? Uh, no, I understand why they they changed their music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think Jason was the cause of that. But I'm just saying, you know, like the load and unload days and all that. Does like, that
0: include the look of the band as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to hear James sing Bob Seger. And and as much as Whiskey in the Jar, like people love it, especially when they play it in Ireland, yeah. I hate when Metallica does that. <laughs> I, I don't like it at all. I like when Metallica, if they're going to cover, I want to hear them cover The Misfits and Diamond Head yeah. and Motorhead and, and, and stuff like that. But I get why they did it. What did you think you of know? the Lady Gaga collab? I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. But here's a weird thing. My buddy Marcel, who has a tattoo shop in Germany, he's a little younger than me. So uh the black album um, on is like his Metallica, okay. right? He loves all the S and M stuff. Like the other day he was raving to me, he's like, you've really gotta give the SNM2 a chance. Like it's so good. And I don't <clears throat> I don't like it. Um I I really can appreciate what's behind it. Um, but I sound, I feel like I'm listening to a movie soundtrack. It, it's, I mean, if you put a bunch of strings and flutes behind any band, I, I know that sounds so bad because I really truly love them, but I'm, I'm not talking about as a friendship. I'm not talking about as employee. I'm talking about as a Metallica fan, it's just sounds like a movie soundtrack Are and you- I, You know,
0: are you allowed to have these feelings or thoughts with those guys?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Because especially James and Lars, like they don't hold, they have no filter either. You know, they, they will tell you when they think something sucks, you know, or whatever. What I
0: appreciate (sighs) the most is they're the anti Bon Jovi. You know, Bon Jovi are, are still and nothing against what they do but they're still out there touring but it's kind of like adult contemporary now and all the yeah. ar- songs are rearranged to sound more adult contemporary and Metallica and generally these bands are at that point of their career legacy bands they tore off the old music if they have a new album it's just to have a new album no one knows anything on the album <clears throat> but man that yeah. Metallica last album it's like they just came out again and it's, yeah. it's, I've never seen anything like it. It's like they're a brand yeah. new band. Like I can yeah. see the Foo Fighters are in that category. Um, yeah. Their new stuff is very well accepted and current, and they don't rely on just being a legacy band. But
1: Yeah, I really like Death Magnetic. Yeah. <clears throat> I like that album a lot. Um, uh, the only
0: difference is, though, and I, one of my best friends is a huge Metallica fan. And I'm gonna tell you this funny story. That last album, he took his he's uh, he his mom is English from England and his dad's from Puerto Rico. Strong family ties to both countries. And he took his daughter at the time was like 13, no, well maybe 10 or eleven, and uh, took her down to Puerto Rico to see Metallica on that tour in the big stadium. And he has the album, like on you know, LP. And till this day, and that album came out, what, three, four years ago?
1: The newest yeah. one? It, yeah, it's been been about three years. He hasn't yeah. listened
0: to the whole thing yet. He refuses to. And if I'm like, why do you keep doing that? And he's like, I just want to prolong this as long as I can. I want a new Metallica song like a year from now. And I'm like, how do you avoid that though? Like, how do you, because when we get in the car, I put it on just to see, like, you know, try to trick him into listening to one and he like freaks out. So he's like dedicated, but I tease him all the time. I said, they sound amazing. The only difference is, is that their shirts cost a lot more money now. Like they're into like fashion stuff, but it still looks
1: cool. Yeah. You know, you can tell though, they're putting thought into it. And they, they care, man. Like, they could they could easily just write a set list <clears throat> they could easily just write a set list and go out and play it every night yeah. and fans would be ecstatic you know but they really do care like um i'll give you a couple examples one day i went to james's room um and his hotel room and he had itunes up and he was buying i I can't remember the song. It was an early song and he was buying the Metallica song on iTunes and I'm like, what are you doing? You know? And he was like, well, he's like in the mean great yesterday. This fan told me that I don't play the guitar solo the same on whatever this song was. So he's like, I thought I would buy the song and reteach myself the solo to see, did I? really like stray that far away and he sat there and worked on the solo like he didn't have to do that Mm. who who cares right i mean like he's they're metallica like whatever they play tonight we're all gonna love and and have a good experience but he listened to that fan and took the time and actually even spent the money you know to that's the funny part What did I change, you know, and Lars, this is Lars gets a bad rap in rock and, and I, I get it sometimes. But, you know, this guy has every set list Metallica has ever played in their entire career. Okay, he has it cataloged. And every night there's a portion of their set list that has the songs it must include, right? And then there's usually like three or four, maybe five songs, but usually three or four that you can interchange. And the reason you can only interchange those songs is they don't have pyro cues and things like that because those type of things, they need to be the same because otherwise you'll end up having an accident. You know, when you're starting to change that kind of stuff. That's how people get burnt and things like that. So he goes through, so let's say, let's say we're in Frankfurt, Germany tonight, you know, and he will go through and look at every set list they've played in Frankfurt, Germany and, and might say that, like, um, you know, we've never played Trapped Under Ice in, in Frankfurt, so we're going to, but we've played Creeping Death three times so we're going to give them trapped under ice tonight and then he you know and then he has to sit through he's got this calculator that calculates time because they they their set is two hours Mm -hmm. so when he puts these songs in he's calculating how long the the set will take and changing these songs but he doesn't have to do that right i mean whatever set list they they could play the same set list every night and for the whole tour and no one but he actually every night changes the setlist according to, man, those people have never, they've never gotten um, battery. So we're gonna make sure they have battery tonight. And um, and every night before they play their two, two and a half hour set, whatever it is, they go in what they call like their tuning room. They warm up for 30 minutes, sometimes working on the songs that they have to add, they add to the setlist so they're playing you know between two and three hours a night and think that like you can you know i know there's drummers that are super critical of lars but the guy is definitely getting older and in and you know in in the encore he's playing like trapped under ice and stuff like that and he played a half hour before the set even started it's crazy who does that and you got it and you have to think that when they wrote these songs they did not think they were going to be playing them at almost 60 years old. Yeah.
0: So when you see that type of dedication, how does that affect you personally? Do you apply that to
1: It's everything. Yeah. I mean it it's it's really it's really what makes me proud of of what I do, you know, like there's I'm not lying, there's some days, you know, that it's 20 21 hour work days there was a a stretch in South America with Metallica, which we called the death March where I, I was awake for almost 56 hours. And, um, and it's because we were doing the shows and then we would have to load the gear on a cargo plane and then the cargo plane would fly to the next thing. So you'd get on a plane, you'd unload the cargo, then put the cargo in the tractor trailers to the tractor trailers to go to the venue, to unload the tractor trailers to set the show up. And, um, when you – when the lights go down and the fans are like screaming, even though I'm not on stage, I really feel like it was worth every second of no sleep because these people are, are going to have yeah. a great time. So you know?
0: wh- tell me the, the roles that you played on
1: in Metallica for four years. <clears throat> so the the first the first tour I did I was a set carpenter um we had three systems we had a stadium system we had a festival system oh I'm sorry we had two systems we had black and blue we had a stadium system and a festival system so basically what happens is is like the stadium systems They're so big, you can't put them up same day. Like the steel, there's usually like multiple sets of steel that are leapfrogging. Mm -hmm. And then when we come in, we now build the production on that steel. That takes a day in itself. Where an arena, you could go in, load in in the morning, do the show and load out at night, but these stadiums are different. So when we're doing, when we were building the stadium set, metallica and say like their monitor guy their sound guy their uh pyro um shooter and all the key players like that they may go to say like the reed um you know donnington or reeds festival or whatever and metallica would play that festival while we're building this st- the stadium okay then the next day they would fly back Then they would join us. We would do the stadium. And then when we were tearing down the stadium that night, then they would fly and do another festival. And so um, then in 2008, 2009, 2010, I did the entire Death Magnetic tour. We did the world two times. And um, that role was, um, I handled their dressing rooms um, and a lot of like their personal assisting at the venue. So I did not have to hardly ever travel with them outside, like on like a day off. They all have their own personal assistants for that. The only time I would ever have to fly with the band is if I was going to a day off with James to tattoo him. So I would handle their rooms i would handle their personal belongings at the stage i would handle preparing their cars for the planes and always kind of like just the next step for them would you do the tune up room uh i did not have to set the tuning room they had a backline guy that that sets i always
0: wondered what's up Um, with the tapestry in backstage of these tune-up rooms like they have the it's always every band has the same like cloths that make it feel so like a the
1: reason the reason why is most of the time these are locker rooms. Yeah. So they'll put up either some type of tapestry or pipe and drape so that it doesn't look like a locker room. And for example, like the tuning room also the sound isn't hitting the metal oh, okay. lockers and you know. They tell you a cool thing about that tuning room is there's an engineer assigned to that room and he's running at the time like Pro Tools and stuff directly to the stage he records every show and is mixing the show while they're recording it and later that night after like midnight um or the next day the fans can go and buy every live show like the show that you were at and that in, that sound engineer in the tuning room is the guy that's designated to just handling that. See, bands like that get it, you know. And I know it's a, it, you
0: know, they're making money off of it, but like the fans don't care. It's just that access that they they allow the fans to have to them is is amazing.
1: Yeah, think of the first time you saw Van Halen. If you could have the show that you went to yeah. live, you would buy that. Yeah, I search it all the time on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, Metallica, like they care, they yeah. still, they still work really hard to give the fans new stuff, not just show up and do a cash grab that that's not what they're about no, not at all. You know? All right. um, so
0: what artists have you tattooed? You got in sync,
1: Metallica, anybody in the stones? No one in the stones. Um, I've done a bunch on Hetfield. I did that that skull on the side of his neck. Yeah. Um, I've done... I did a dagger. I did a big eagle and a flag on the back of his arm. Um, I did the musical notes of Cliff Burton's bass line in Orion here. Um, And one of the... I did some sparrows... Um, On his shoulders, but one of the ones I did that's got a funny story is right, uh, on like the top of his right wrist. There's, uh, two, um, straight razors crisscrossed and, uh, it says straight edge and it says S T R the number eight edge. And, um, you know, uh, James, you know, goes through periods of like trying to, you know, to, to stay sober and, um, And he was like, you know, I really, you know, you being you, I would really love for you to do my straight edge tattoo. And uh, (laughs) I mean, this is so funny. You know, I was flattered. But the Metallica fan in me struggled. (laughs) Like, like, I was like, I can't do a straight at, straight edge tattoo on alcoholica like that's my metallica you know what i mean like like alcoholica you yeah. know and so i did it but but in and i'm i'm super proud of it i'm so glad that he thought i should be the guy because i'm you know i'm a straight you know i don't i don't really market myself as straight edge but you know I'm a figure out what about. you're all about and um but I was like, I don't know if I'm defacing metal right now. Nah, you know? like, but so that but, brings uh, up a good
0: point. Have you ever been asked to do a tattoo, and you just you thought maybe they would regret that choice, whether it's placement or especially placement? Like, did you ever kind of talk anyone out of a, a choice?
1: Um, you know, <clears throat> nothing that sticks out. But in the studio. That's a that's a daily discussion, you know, if you care. Yeah. There's some studios that they just want to make money, and then there's some studios that have like good morals and
0: What do you think of this new trend now of like the Post Malone look where you're getting all the stuff on your face and what, like what do you think of that?
1: Um I mean, I don't most of my tattoo friends that are my age a lot of them, like, frown upon it. I I wouldn't promote that I think you should get your face tattooed. Um, but I'm okay with it. I I think um, it really helps all of us uh, as far as that whole taboo of, you know, you got to be a bad person to have a yep. tattoo. And you must have done time. And you must be in a gang. Or you, you must have killed someone. Or, like and that's um, a real thing
0: like that's how that's still kind of yeah exists.
1: so so the fact that like um now your neurosurgeon may have a sleeve or you know I, I think if if someone like post malone can be doing super bowl commercials and people like it i think that's great for the tattoo industry mm-hmm. um what i want six to get her face tattooed no does she I have mean, any I, tattoos She has a couple small ones. Did you do them? Um, No. Um, I got a story. I actually don't tattoo any longer. But um, with her, she loves the tattoos. But I don't see her as being heavily tattooed because since she's grown up in it, it's not as awesome as it is for everybody yeah. else, you know, no, I get that. Like she, the couple of tattoos she has. It might be a thing where it's like, oh, my best friend in California, I, because she's my best friend in California, we kind of want to get something together right. to symbolize our friendship. She also doesn't get heavily tattooed because it could it could play against her with auditioning and yeah. stuff, too. Um, why did you make the decision to quit tattooing? So <clears throat> here's the here's a a dark side of my career, but I think was the bright part for six. So in 2000, well, right at the beginning of 2010, when I knew that third year of the Metallica tour was gonna, that was gonna be the end. I was like, I really want to have something to show for my money. And two, I would like to be able to slow down a little bit because You know, I've already missed so much time with Six that her teenage years were coming up and and I really wanted to be around for it. So I was like, if I open a tattoo shop and get it established when Metallica finishes, I have this established business and I have another income. Well, 2010 ended up being such a a terrible year, I got to open my shop um we finished a 3 year run with Metallica which was awesome but um i ended up uh getting separated and eventually divorced from Six's mom who i was married for with for 10 years and um well if that wasn't enough the summer of 2010 we finished touring in at thanksgiving the summer while i was home i was going to tattoo some of my friends and i remember like my hand having, like, these little involuntary, like, kind of twitches and wasn't in any pain or anything. And I thought, well, maybe I, like, slept with it, like, under me or something like that. It eventually, like, kept happening and kept happening, kept happening. So when I went back out to do some shows with Metallica, they have this guy, Dr. Don, that was on tour with them. And he would do, like, um, not only massaging, he would do acupuncture and little electrolysis things. Mm-hmm. And he did some things where he tried to like clear out my nerves and all that stuff. And, and just nothing seemed to work. I just would get these little involuntary twitches. And as you can imagine doing something with no eraser, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. So, um, so I went to a neurologist had an MRI done of, of my head, and it turns out that I have a, um, a little tiny cyst on the pineal gland of my brain, um, like the size of a pencil tip. It's not um, dangerous to me. It's not. And the neurologist was like, honestly, if you didn't have your job, we wouldn't even be here talking about this because you wouldn't you you wouldn't be analyzing it like that. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, so what's the solution? And he was like, well, clearly we're not doing brain surgery. And I was happy about that. He was like, there are some medications, but it's just like a band aid. Eventually the medication, your body won't react to it the same. And and he's like, I'm going to tell you something. He's like, but I'm only going to tell you because you're you and you're such a, you know, a solid, sober guy. He's like, but the pineal gland when you drink and things like that, that's the part of your brain that you feel the buzz and you get drunk and things like that. And he was like, if you, this, he's like, just to help you understand it, if you took a shot, it would level you out. Like you, you would tattoo like you've never tattooed before. But like the medicine, eventually one shot will be two shots and two shots will be three shots. And you're gonna be a full blown alcoholic eventually to do your job. And I was like, well, that ain't going to happen. And he's like, that's the only reason I told you that. So I was like, well, I'm not going to take something that eventually is just going to fail. You know, like if we can't fix it, then we can't fix it, you know. So I was bummed because, you know, you never think that you – are not going to have control of your life that you can just end something when you want to end it, you know, like, and, uh, so I just had to accept that, you know, the outlining was, it just was not working. And now that I know it, it's, I'm like even obsessing over it. Like I, some days, like when I fill out an envelope, I don't even know if it's going to make it where it's going to go, you know, and then some days it's awesome. And, and it's not like, I'm like, I've got like tremors literally like if you just squeeze the gas pump, just the, the tightness of your, your hand. Sometimes my finger will just have like a little twitch, but with tattooing, that's a problem, you know? Well, so I just was like, well, I have the shop. Mm -hmm. I can manage the shop. I can still design art. You know, I, I have erasers there. So, Then after my divorce, uh, Six got the option to go to California and pursue acting. And here's the bright side of the story is my career was booming. Now I wanted to open this tattoo shop. My tattoo shop's established. Now I have two careers that are doing great. Would I've considered uprooting my life and moving to LA? I, I probably wouldn't have, you know? And the fact that I wanted to come off the road somewhat to be with her and have my tattoo shop as an income allowed me to move to Cal. We just literally uprooted. Like, like we just, we just were like, look, when you get out of school, we're going to put everything we can in our pickup truck and our U-Haul, and we're going to go there. And we'll sign a year's lease and at about nine months you and i are going to have dinner together and you can tell me if it's everything you thought it would be and if it's not at the 12-month mark we'll put everything back in the truck and then you home we'll we'll drive back to maryland like and i wouldn't have been able to do that and i think so i really feel like it probably happened for the right reason
0: and it gave you that time with her you know
1: yeah so at the time i thought <laughs> the world was so unfair but it actually it made i mean it really gave her the opportunity to be who she is today and and excel in the things that she excels in and was worth the sacrifice and i still have my tattoo shop 11 years later you know and it's it's
0: orange tattoo, mm-hmm. uh, orange tattoo Where where
1: is it Annap- annapolis. annapolis like right on west street in annapolis okay. um yeah.
0: And how much do you love just being a business owner? How involved are you? Are you there every day?
1: Uh, I'm not there every day, but most of the time, I would say I'm there almost every day, but not all day. Okay. You know, I'm all the business side. So now when I travel with bands, I'm still doing the payroll. I'm still doing the supply ordering. I'm still handling all the business of the tattoo shop. I just hired, you know, two desk guys that are the mediators yeah. for the business and me, but but I'm totally hands-on with all the business. So and, are you still and, torn? Yeah. So um I am now in the hip hop world. Um and uh I work for an artist named Future. Yeah, yeah. And uh and I I love it. And the reason I love it is because future isn't a big fan of long tours. Um, he is, he is like the king of the one offs, you know? So usually like one weekend a month we'll fly out and we'll do shows and, but here's the, here's the funny part. It could be Texas or it could be Australia. Like like, we literally fly to Nigeria to do one show and then fly back home. Like, I've i backpacked to the Middle East wow. before.
0: <laughs> now, in what capacity are you working with Future?
1: So, Future, I'm the tour coordinator. Okay. So, um, I'm not working with him personally, hands-on, um, his day-to-day stuff. Um, and because, uh, well, for one, he's – never around. He's, he's so awesome. He, he's the one artist that still keeps that mystery, you know, where you, you don't see them and you, you don't hear from them. So when they come like Prince, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know anything about Prince, right? Like that's, that's future. Like he, he shows up, um, like right before he used to go on stage. Um, you literally give him his mic and his ears in his suv he'll come on he'll crush it crush it for 60 minutes hand you his ears his mic he'll get back in the car and he'll go back to his jet and fly away it's crazy it's awesome and and that schedule is awesome so i'm the logistics guy on this so i handle you know all the immigration all the flights all the hotels the the rider with the production um the dressing rooms all the advancing all you know just just all the logistics and you're remarried now and i'm remarried so how does that work does she go with
0: you or does she hang out back here in states
1: no so so she's she stays in maryland um she has a daughter that is six's age so they're both in their first year of college, and um, are they buddies? And it's really, really funny. So, um, you know, years ago, like years and years ago, um, six would always be like, you know, Miss Denise is the female version of you, you know, because she had been <laughs> friends with her daughter forever. Uh, okay, and I'm like six. I will never cross that line. That's not going to happen. I will oh, so never. So, did you like date. know
0: each other? Like, were you? Like parents yeah, you know, I would bring six to
1: her house, oh, okay. or she would bring her daughter to my house. And I'm like, I'm never crossing that line. It's not gonna happen. Like, that's that's weird. Like, and I'm I'm not gonna do that. And she just would always be like, I'm telling you, like, Miss Denise is she's for you, you know? And um not so nothing happened. We were in Maryland, strictly you know, the friendship of their friendship and yeah. us being parents and six and I moved to California and Denise contacts me is like, you know, I want to bring Caden out to come visit her. And yeah, sure. You know, and, um, ironically on that trip, when they visit us in LA, things just kind of, kind of developed. And it's like, well, for starters, I didn't, that wasn't my intention and two now we live on opposite sides of the country right so she for for a couple years like did two years in maryland two years in california two years in maryland two years in california how long were you guys in
0: california
1: uh four years Oh, i didn't realize
0: that
1: yeah six six was there from 12 to 16 and then she had decided that um she one day had this epiphany that, hey, you know, I'm never gonna get to go to prom, and I'm never gonna, and I'm like, you're right, like you're gonna be able to work the rest of your life, but you will never get any of these things back. Did and she when she, like, when
0: she came back to school in 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 Annapolis? I'm assuming. Did she? Yeah. Did she? Um, what was that like for her? Was she like the oh, that's the California actress girl or?
1: So it was, it was great because she went to South River, um, high school and it, it, you know, all the girls that were on her soccer team prior to us moving were the soccer team at South River. Even the, the varsity coach was her youth coach. Okay. So when she came back to South River and did 11th and 12th grade, um, Everyone was used to her. Of course, there was some kids that knew about her and, and the teachers. But but all in all, like if you didn't know, she never let it be known. Okay. You know, she always – she was like, I'm here because t- I I, I want to be a – I don't want to lose these years. I want to be a kid. Yeah. If I want to be in the limelight, I'll stay where I was, you know. And um, so she, she played varsity soccer both years and did the yearbook and mm-hmm. – all the stuff the other kids did. That's great. And She's in college now. Now she's at NYU. Is she still focusing on soccer or is that? So no soccer. Um, She had decided that, uh, you know, she didn't want her college experience to be based around a sport. Mm -hmm. And and also, you know, because there's opportunities that you're going to get that maybe it might be an internship or something that, because you're committed to the team you can't do it yeah so um so yeah
0: well listen i uh i don't want to keep you too much longer i could talk to you for another two hours um (laughs) but that's great stuff um real quick i want to throw down a couple names here uh you said rob zombie you tattooed Mm
1: -hmm. what was the phil you toured with phil collins I did. What was that like? I did. I did the the first final farewell tour. That's what it was called. Oh my gosh! And uh, it was awesome. Is he great. Like, it
0: was... I want to. I want to. I want to believe he's great.
1: He is the coolest. Okay. The coolest. Like it was a night with Phil Collins, so there was no opening act, and um, just such an awesome guy. Like I don't. I mean. It's he just that's I don't even know how else to explain it. Yeah. His band was awesome. And you know he's got some heavy hitters in there like Chester yeah. and um the bass player with the beard. Um what's his name? You know yeah. what I'm talking about yeah. the big, the big beard. gray beard, the glasses. It, was
0: his son playing drums at the time?
1: No, okay. just Chester. Oh, that's right. And that's then right. um there was two there was two sets on the stage, so Chester had his, Phil had his And then there was this um, this runway that went up the back of the stage That curved around the back And in the center, there was a drum set that came like through a lift Just for him to sit on to do the doo-doo, 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 doo-doo. <laughs> And then after he did it, the drum set went back That's down That's crazy It didn't even have any cymbals on it Oh man yeah. So,
0: real quick, before we get off You had mentioned, you know, the 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 cyst issue that made you stop tattooing. Um, it would have been easy for, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it would have been easy for you to really be crushed by that because tattooing, did you find that that was your identity? Was
1: that hard um, to reconcile with? And did, did you like wonder everyone now who Frankie is now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that was my identity. Oddly enough, even all the stuff that I was doing in the music industry, you know, when so many people have like similar first names, you know, I would my friends on tour would be even introducing me to, "Oh, Frankie Tattoo." Mm. You know, and then it's like, well, it's now it's Frankie who used to Tattoo, you know. Yeah. And and um the you know, I mean it was it was a it was it was definitely like a struggle like I said like I've never experienced you always hear people especially on like social media you always see all these crazy like memes and stuff of like you know make sure you appreciate today for today and that da da you know and it's it's so so easy to to blow that off and I'm I'm so lucky to tell you that like I haven't experienced any like um too many like crazy like things in life that were all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying but that was one that was all of a sudden and um and to think that i was not going to be able to tattoo is until i wanted to stop i would have never guessed that you know in a million years is
0: it fa- Is it fair to say though that your relationship with six and the move to los angeles kind of gave you back? It helped you through that and then you know gave you your like it 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 made your real identity become um uh, visible to you like i'm a dad first
1: kind of deal so so i think that this kind of goes back to the parenting and i think you could go either direction um in that time i also experienced a divorce Mm -hmm. um and you know i definitely got married to be married forever you know what i mean um and um when you when you have a kid especially i don't care what gets thrown at you it was kind of what i was saying earlier when we were talking is like it doesn't matter what kind of a day you have when you come home they're they're happy you're who you are you know and they're proud of you, and going through a divorce and then that happening and and stuff like that you you can either go into what I like to call as like a survival mode which puts your life into perspective and at this point for me it was you know what I have this little girl that is relying on me right now so that's the bigger picture the bigger picture isn't you can't tattoo you have other ways of providing you know you still can do stuff in the music industry you still can you still do have a tattoo shop you know and i think as weird as it sounds my divorce i think is what really created Our what made our relationship so amazing is, you know, we we really got into that mode of it doesn't really matter what's around us Mm -hmm. as long as we have each other, you know, we can make it work. And and that's exactly what we did, you know, Um, even when we went to California, you know, um, being a single parent, a single parent with like no child support, like things like that. So mom wasn't involved anymore no okay no and and um, when we went to California it was, it's really expensive, so we found a it's so the cliche l a story We weren't sleeping in a car, but we did get a one bedroom apartment. I slept on the couch, six had the bedroom, and this this is funny, this is how I discovered Netflix. We bought a bunch of tombstone pizzas and we opened the netflix account and we watched tons of series until she would have an audition and we would go do the audition and we would come home and continue on the series because if we were at home eating tombstones we weren't spending money and we would just go to auditions and auditions and eventually you know we were able to move out and get a two-bedroom apartment but that really was how we did it and honestly i wouldn't change it Mm. it it's really cool to think like that's that's what we did. And we made it work. And, and she never once felt like she was being cheated or, you know, or this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Or, you know, she really has that great attitude of we could live in a tent. We're fine. You got each other you know? Yeah. And uh, so for all those crappy things that were happening at the time, um, I really hold it responsible for my relationship with her being what it is. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't I – have, I'd have to tell you I wouldn't change it. Even though I sacrificed – I would be sacrificing my marriage and one career. I'm okay with that. All right, well, let me ask you this question then.
0: As someone that has a going-on 12-year-old daughter, I every day I think, all right, when's this shoe going to drop? where like you're talking about the 14 to 16 or even just it kills me to think i literally i sat at the dinner table two nights ago and i looked at everybody at the table i'm like listen it it might and i started to choke up a bit and i'm like i just want you guys to know that how much this means to me this moment that we have every day means to me because this isn't going to be around forever And you're not going to be at my dinner table every day. And just to have the four of us here every day, and even though we fight sometimes, whatever, this means the world to me, like right now. And how has your relationship changed? Give me some hope that there's still a relationship with your kids when they go to college and get older.
1: So it's cool. Um, You're absolutely right. Denise and I both have gone through the stages of 11th and 12th grade, where they only come from their rooms when it's time to grab their food. They're in their own worlds between, um, Netflix and FaceTiming with their friends and, and all of that stuff. Um, but, um, now when six comes home from school, she wants to sit on the couch and watch whatever we're watching and she has flat out said she's like you know like i remember so many times coming in the house and saying hi and walking past you and how now it feels really good to sit there and have that that time of just conversing over whatever we're watching and Um, and hanging with the dog and, and, and things like that. And, you know, um, we always, we have like these areas where we live, um, like Bay Ridge Mm -hmm. and stuff where it's like down in the water and likes to, to take, we have a Jeep to go and like ride along like Bay Ridge and just kind of like reminisce and it's all because of her. Like she's the one that wants to, wants to do it. You guys stay in touch while
0: she's in school? Like phone or FaceTime
1: okay. Still, still right now, we FaceTime honestly, probably about 15 times a day. All right, so you're making me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I will tell you that Denise doesn't have the same look. It's that daughter dad um, thing. Yeah, yeah. It it I really think it is, you know, because Denise and her daughter have an awesome relationship. But um I, I think six and I, we've established such a a friendship too, that when I Facetime her, it'd be like me Facetiming you. Yeah. You know, like what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like oh, you know I've I'm you know I just went to grab lunch. Blah 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 blah. Oh cool. You know like it's like that. It's not like you calling and being like. So I wanted to tell you, you know what I mean? It's It's not the, so what did you
0: do today? It's, it's, you're not acquiring information. You have, you're having a relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so it, it was just those two years that were, were challenging, you know, but it's just part of it. And I mean, uh, and she, she realized it, you know, like looking back on it, you know, but, but like I said, some of it, they, they can't help, you know?
0: What um? What are the big differences between a Metallica tour versus an in-sync tour? I'm talking like just what goes on back there.
1: Honestly, nothing. That it's it's uh, it's so quiet backstage. That like Metallica, um, there's no there's no like wild parties. There's no there's no girls, there's no, you know, they're, they're all married with families. I mean, if I was touring with Metallica in 86, maybe it would be totally different, but, um, you know, it's, it's pretty locked down secure. And if only the people that belong there are there, um, NSYNC was fairly the, the same, you know, um, they were just so massive at the time that you really had to it it was so crazy like listen to this tom like when the guys would throw away like their undergarments like just like maybe you, you socks a pair of underwear t-shirts yeah. like we would literally have to go and and pour like old food or cut it up because the staff from the arenas were taking out of the garbage and trying to sell it on ebay <laughs> not even kidding yikes yeah so um for me i've never been i've never been on a tour where the backstage was insane yeah. um but the nightlife for sure i mean i've i've spent plenty of time in bars brothels uh You name it, you know, and obviously me not taking part in any of it. But I have to be there because I have to be there for their safety, have to be there for quality control. There's, you know, a lot of things that people do that that, um, the world doesn't need to know about, you know.
0: You had mentioned that Stones, that, um, you know, sometimes they talk to you, sometimes they didn't. Um, I think everybody believes when you work in this kind of industry that you're friends with all these people, and my daughter will look at that and say, um, "You know, some people are in your phone, but that doesn't mean much sometimes." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, where it really became, it, it, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting. Um, exercise as a parent where, so, so I was fortunate enough to start working with Van Halen in 94 during the balance tour where I, I was doing some photography stuff. And it's a funny story how I got to that. I basically snuck my way into doing it. But for me, it was, it was a dream come true. You know, I was photographing my heroes and, and again for the 98 tour. Um, and then subsequently I, you know, I'd shot some stuff for, for, uh, Sammy on some, when he got kicked out of Van Halen and then I did an independent film and I hooked back up with those guys, um, Sammy's team with the tequila stuff and they sponsored the movie. They did product placement and you know, we would, we got, we were out in California and went to a private screening of, a, of his movie and we're at a private party. I'm looking at my wife going, Everybody looks like him. Like, what, what What kind of bizarre world are we in? And then I realized it's all his family. And they set <laughs> us down in the theater next to his mom and his wife. And it was just trippy, right? And for someone yeah. that loved that band so much, it meant the world to me. So mm-hmm. when, they, when Sammy came around here to D.C. last time he played Wolf Trap, I reached out to his now manager, who was the music licensing guy that licensed all my stuff for the movie years ago. And I'm um, like, Hey, I would love to bring my daughter backstage. Um, you know, can we make that happen? He's like, absolutely. So I was able to kind of do full circle where introduced her to Sammy. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the tour manager fan from Van Halen, Scotty Ross was now night Rangers tour manager. So we kind of, mm-hmm. but she's like, do you think he'll remember you? And I'm like, I mean that's just not necessarily how that works sometimes you know I was the guy behind the camera and although yeah. we did lots of work and he had to approve all those interactions that we had with the movie yeah. stuff and the film festival I had It doesn't work like that and yeah. it kind of it was a great experience because for me I was able to go this played such a role in my life here's one of the guys that you know was involved with that but also that yeah. down-to-earth thing of it's not what everybody thinks it is
1: yeah yeah one sec, let me grab my um my plug really quick okay. for my computer. I'm going to tell you a really cool story uh about Justin. Um Justin, you know, it was always like a a big deal for him to you need to know everybody's name. Yeah. It's very very important. You should know people's names. It it goes a long way. And um you know, for exactly like we were saying, like, you know, that fifth or sixth Lighting guy, um, and there was an artist that he was doing a tour with that he on his solo career that was co headlining with, and I, I won't say her name, but but she they were talking in the hallway, and as different crew members are coming by, you know, Justin would be like, Hey, so so hey, so so hey, so you know, and she was just like, and they were co headlining so they shared a lot of at least the production people. And um, she said to him, she was like, God, you, you know, more of the people on my staff than I do. And, and he was like, and what does that say? You know, like, you know, like, and, and it, it really, it really is true. Like, you know, for him, you know, he would be, whether he's walking by or like, have like a little grill by his bus. If you came by, he would be like, Hey, Tom, what's up? You know, like, you know, he wouldn't just do it because it was the right thing to do like he was waiting for you to reply you know like and it really made a difference with the people that worked for him that you know like he has he's acknowledged that i'm here you know you can money is great and you can you can pay people and you can give them bonuses but that acknowledgement makes you work long hours yeah it makes you want to do the extra things and, and things like that. And that was something that I always instilled, you know, in in six, you know, there's a lot of things that I've taken from the music side that I've told her. And I'm like, you, you listen, that guy holding that camera, it's, it's heavy, you know, and, um, he's not just some grunt, you know, like, you need to introduce yourself. You need to know him. You need to, you know, find out maybe what he would like, what would make it easier for him. Be prepared so he doesn't have to hold that thing longer than necessary. And I was like, everyone you're working with, because at the end of the day, if you don't have them, you don't have a show. And, and it was awesome. I mean, you know, like the kicks was like her first thing that she did. And before you know it, like she's holding boom mics and she's, you know, holding the cameras and she's doing, and she's now that she's acknowledged them, they've all invited her in on like, okay, you know, this is why, you know, we mic sometimes, Mm -hmm. we don't mic sometimes, we do this, we do this, this angle, you know, and it ended up being a, a learning experience of a lot of other jobs but it really went a long way here she's the number one on the list for the show and the fact that when she comes in it's like hey joe hey sam hey you know like the set just comes to life because you're 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 a team now everyone wants to be there and everyone wants to get the best shot because you're showing them that you care, you know. There's not a lot of empathy in that industry, you know. Yeah, where people look yeah, down you know. at, or you know. And being a kid, it's tricky, you know. Because I remember the first meeting with the showrunner, and keep in mind, you know, she's 12 going on 13, and and he said, um, you know, I want you to know that the guy that's playing your dad, or the person that's playing your mom or the camera guy, this is how they feed their families. This is their job. They do have sympathetic that you're a kid. But they're at work. So you need to keep that in mind that it, it's, not a t- it's not a normal situation to be a 13-year-old. You, you really have to kind of almost step it up to realizing that you guys are all at work together. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a great thing for her to, to just know that even when she was at soccer practice that the coach is giving his time right now and um, don't waste his time. Well, it
0: strikes me that she's pretty grounded. You know, very. And I think she got that from you. And I I think both of you and I can agree to this, that, you know, when people hear that we're behind the scenes in either concerts or films, and they think it's glamorous and there's parts that, that are, but I always tell people, I look at my job as a blue collar job because Mm -hmm. it is like, yeah, yes, it's true that one day I could be behind you know, behind backstage meeting. So-and-so we're doing this or doing that. Sure. But like the very next day I'm, you know, sitting down with my camera, um, grinding it up myself, you know? And yep. it's just, yep. that's the dichotomy that I actually, and I love because it yep. makes
1: both of those things kind of precious,
0: you know? Cause yeah. if it was yeah. always yeah, that way, like,
1: I love logistics. So I love, I really love my job with future. I I'm so glad I don't have to fly with him I'm so glad I don't have to stay at his hotel I'm so glad I don't have to run on his schedule like I love my part in it you know even though he's a he's a really nice guy and and all that but like I don't want to go to the after parties I don't want to I don't I don't want to go to any of the appearances I don't I really love but if you want me to set up how it's all going to happen for him I, I am so happy to do that. I, I, oh, I one other thing I wanted to say to you was um, I saw in your Instagram you are a Cowboys fan. Yes. Does that change things I, for us? I no, it does not. <laughs> I grew up I grew up a Redskins fan, yeah. but but since then I I you know my whole adult life I've followed the Chargers. Yeah. But um, but I do have a great Tony Dorsett story do you if got? you want to hear. Yeah. It. So with within sync we played the old Texas Stadium yep. not this newest one. By the way, and- I kicked a 35-yard
0: field goal in the old, in the original Texas Stadium. Yeah. But I did. I, that is I knew awesome. I was going down there for a stadium tour. It was the last year the stadium was up. I went there for yeah. the last game at the stadium which was versus the Giants and I practiced for 2 weeks because I knew <laughs> I heard that I would be able to get on the field and kick. And I, I played soccer yeah. all my life so I thought all right, yeah. how hard could it be?
1: it's hard that's all
0: but um yeah i go ahead sorry i had
1: to throw that in there so so my redskins when i was a kid i played i played in annapolis for a a team called the pow hawks and they looked like the redskins and and john riggins was my my favorite guy as a kid i even tried to any year i could get 44 i would take it i love the joe joe gibbs era yeah. of the yeah. redskins you know and um so the sync dressing room was the Cowboys locker room. So that was so cool in itself. Um, like they even put like their little name plates uh-huh. of each sync guy on the lockers oh, cool. and the big star on the floor. And, and, um, well, anyway, um, <laughs> so, I was somewhere else, not at the dressing room, and one of the security guys from Insing said, hey, you know, called me on the radio and said, can you come back to the dressing room? Now, this guy, this one security guy, you know, they always have like the nicknames like Tiny and stuff. Well... Tiny, his name, his real name is Mike Henry. He played for the Giants in the 70s, and he was a lineman. And he's such a big guy that like he was kind of like the refrigerator Perry of the 70s. And uh but he was hardcore NFC East. Like, like he was like, you know, like I thought it was cool to be in Texas Stadium, you know. He he was like I don't care. I wouldn't have cared if they all died on an airplane. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, like he was like <laughs> just different school of football, yeah. you know. Well, he calls me back to the dressing room. I come back, and there stands Tony Dorset. And I don't know what came over me, but something came over me. And Mike says, Uh, Tony, I want you to meet Frankie. Frankie, I want to meet I want you to meet Tony. And I shake his hand but I don't let it go. Yeah. And um and he's like it's so nice to meet you and I stop shaking his hand and I grab with the other hand and I look him straight in the face and I'm like I just want you to know as a kid you made my life hell. <laughs> and he gets this look on his face like and I was like because I was a Redskins fan and he blurts out like laughing and he hugs me and he's like was that not the best football ever like and we end up having like a big laugh and we're talking and and he's just like saying like how people will never understand how awesome that rivalry was and and uh, and i was just like man you you like every time you were on the field like you killed it you know like i dreaded you getting the ball So later that night when he came to the show, he brought me back a mini Cowboys helmet signed with an HOF on it, like Hall of Fame. And he was like, I love meeting people like you, like it that you get it, you know. That's awesome. But I don't know what came over me. I I got real serious and I was like, you made my life hell as a kid. And he (laughs) was just like.
0: (laughs) Well, so I'm on the board of a charity uh, called Dreams for Kids D.C., and we I was going to
1: ask you what that is. So
0: we provide clinics, essentially, it's changed over the last year with Corona, but they're generally in-person clinics. They're oftentimes sports-minded for kids with special needs, whether physical or mental. And we partner with all the major sports teams. So, um, you know, everyone knows I'm a Cowboy fan. I, there's a Cowboy star sticker on the back of my Jeep. And... Um, <laughs> I had a friend well so one of the years that we did it we we put 100 kids on the field on their practice field we're at, we're at their compound and and I don't see anything you know I just want to get in get out and and that's it yeah and I can run around with a camera cuz my company will donate all of the video services and event coverage for the for the organization as well yeah and um, somebody told Kirk Cousins that it was the year that Maryland Um, broke from the ACC and went to the Big Ten. He's a Michigan guy. And someone told Kirk Cousins that I'm a huge Cowboy fan. And the rest of the day, it was just barb (laughs) after barb about the Maryland sucking and the Cowboys, cowgirls, as you keep calling it, went over and over and over again. But the uh, next time, I forgot I had that sticker on the back of my Jeep. And I'm rolling into the event, and the security guard's looking at me weird. I'm like, "What's that all about?" And I go in, yeah. and the players are walking from the headquarters over to the practice bubble, and they're all looking at me. I'm like, "What did I do?" And I go inside, yeah. and one of the players is like, "Uh, you know what you did?" And I'm like, "What are you What are you talking about?" And I said, I, "I'm showing up to filming you guys. What do you want?" And, and I'm interviewing him. He's like. You're walking around. What kind of nerve do you have? Walk. I'm afraid of the guy now. He's like, you came in here with a cowboy sticker on? And I'm like, oh, crap. I forgot that happened. And I said, listen, I could make you look horrible. I'm interviewing you. So just, you know, so it went back and forth. But yeah. So, you know, I would love to even talk to you down the road about doing like a, uh, I mean, obviously we're not going to tattoo the kids, but maybe do it like a art thing, something like yep. tattoo crossover clap thing. But um
1: Couple, two more, and, uh, six as well. Like you know, she she loves like helping out with any of okay. that kind of stuff. Maybe do so like if a she's home from school, and you wanted to do something with, whether it be soccer or acting well, or what whatever. I'm a hundred
0: percent gonna hook gonna hit you up for a little soccer tutorial from my daughter. Yeah, if, if we could swing yeah. that somehow. Um, yeah, we absolutely. we do a thing, and again, it's a little different now with COVID, but. Uh, with the DC United, I would love to have her come out and be like a, a, a sure. like a guest, you know, superstar or something, and and teach the kids yeah. soccer. Um, yeah, right. that'd be great. We completely passed over this, and I need to talk to you about it. PRS <laughs> guitars.
1: Oh yeah. What would it? What? Tell me more. So real another. I mean, I, I feel so lucky because <clears throat> I really love I really love the how everything worked out for me. But um, so. The old PRS factory, the original, was off of a road real close to my tattoo shop in Annapolis off of a road called Chinkapin. It was on Virginia Avenue, and it was real small. It was a real small factory. I mean, our, our dust collection system, we just made wood boxes and put rubber screens over, and you jacked a dumpster up to a hood. Wow. It, it didn't really work yeah. at all. I'm probably still full of, like, rosewood and mahogany <laughs> and... But um you know back then no CNC machines oh. and things like that. So, you know, you're you would be lucky like our numbers for the day would be like 27. So, what you did know? you do there? So, I worked in the wood shop. Okay. I did every every job in the wood shop. I you usually start out sanding bodies, yeah. but um um, I did the, I, I, started out there. I did the Dubla carver, which is a, basically like a hand CNC machine. Um, I did the shapers. I, I worked, I finished my years mainly on the neck team where I did everything from the blanks to the inlaying, to the truss rod, to cooking the rosewood in like an oven that you would have in your kitchen. Like that's how old this was. Um, that's how you would get the moisture of the rosewood. And back then in Lang you would have like a little metal jig and you would dremel all those birds out. Because, you would dremel you know, the birds. Dremel wow. each bird. Um, and then um, uh, when they finally moved over to the Eastern Shore, um, I worked there for the first year. And uh, right after that is when my apprenticeship ended to where I could go take on like a full-time job. Um, Paul to this day is still a very close friend of mine. Um, still communicate. Um, he was the, he was truly one of the coolest. Um, he if you everyone in there were musicians and stuff. So if you had a band, he would buy everybody's demo tape um when you would have like the shop christmas party he would hold it at a venue and set up a back line and everyone's shop band could go up there and play like two or three songs and um he's just a great guy i got to meet some cool people through him like um ted mccarty um ted nugent um (laughs) You name yeah. it, you know. Um, I've been trying and- to get
0: him on the podcast for a couple of years. My, my, um, my, my uh, story about him was: we were in. Um, it was opening day at RFK for the Nationals. The first day they brought him mm-hmm. back. So I don't know, early two thousands maybe. I can't, I can't remember. And uh, two of my best friends, longest best friends, the three of us got season tickets. We only went to that one game. And I'm going down to get a beer and a hot dog, and he's standing there. And I'm like, "Are you?" And he kind of looked at me, and he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "How did you? Uh, how'd you know?" He goes, "No one knows who I am." <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, you're Paul Reed Smith." <laughs> <laughs> and we sat there for like 20 minutes waiting for our hot dogs and, and beer, but or whatever—I don't know what he got, but it yeah. just seemed like a, yeah, we- it was just such a humble like reaction to no one knows who I am. How do you know who I am?
1: Yeah. He's, he's a super down, you know, down low guy. Um, when I worked there, we, we were even making bases for a short time. They dabbled in amps for a short time and I actually made it through two layoff periods. You know, I survived two layoff periods. It was, uh, It's a different time, and then man, now that factory that they have on the Eastern Shore, it's it's the real deal. Like my buddy, the big Metallica fan, he and
0: I went a couple years ago and took the tour, and I Mm -hmm. was—I mean, I still talk. We still talk about it. It, I've never Mm -hmm. seen anything like it. The attention to detail, Mm -hmm. and the whole misnomer with the custom shop guitars. I mean, they're great, but every really, I think the only differentiator is just wood and stuff because. Everybody still, the same guy that does the custom, at least today, does the bottom of the barrel guitar. Not that there's a bottom of the barrel guitar, but like everything's treated the same exact way. And exactly. the custom guitar is quite honestly on the same level as every other guitar there. It's just yeah. different quality of woods and stuff, but it was amazing. I mean, they look They're- amazing. Everything about them's great. And it's awesome that, that- it's in Maryland.
1: You know, back when Eddie Van Halen switched to, uh, I don't remember the Music brand, Man? but with like the quilted maple and all that. Uh, so, This one. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, um, Paul Reed Smith actually uh, wanted to pick him up when he was switching. Yeah. And he, he complimented the guitar. I mean, he said it was really nice and amazing. I mean, Santana, you know, all this, but he said it looked like a piece of furniture cause it was so nice. And I really was boggled when that music man came out with all the quilted maple stained yeah. and I was thinking to myself, like it's besides the shape, it's not any different, you know, you went with the same style. Guitar. This
0: reminds me very much of a Paul Reed Smith guitar. So this is a this is a '93. um, I think they went up to '94, '95, but um, it reminds me very much of it. The I did see somewhere online that and maybe you know about this that that they made him kind of a. a spec guitar to kind of get him over striped up. Did you, did you see that or?
1: Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. That was back in that time. Yeah. It was a, you know, what else was happening back then that I thought was cool was um, Alex Lifeson um, wanted, uh, a, he was playing PRS and, and he wanted or he wanted a PRS and, and he wanted a specific color and they sent in um, one of Neil's drum shells because he was like, I want it to match the drum shell, and yeah. I thought it was so amazing to see that oh, drum right shell. You know?
0: So when we went on tour, we were at the finishing area, and there was a strat body, kind of up, you know, hanging up against the wall, and and they were so cool there, and it was not yeah. a lot of people, and they were probably telling us stuff they may not have should have told us, and I'm like, hey, what's with the strat over there? It had like a number on it or something. And he was like, "Uh, um, probably not supposed to tell you this, but that's a, a John Mayer prototype.
1: <laughs> and I'm like,
0: really? He's, you guys are making a Strat guitar? And he's like, oh, don't say anything. And I'm like, that's it? So we saw the, the one of the later prototypes of what we now know is that silver, I forget what they call it, but they've gotten so much yeah. crap for that guitar, but. Yeah. i don't understand
1: why yeah
0: um well that's awesome <laughs> that's so awesome i wanted to talk to you yeah. about that
1: and paul was paul was awesome like um he knew i was uh apprenticing to be a tattooer yeah. and um uh so he you know he he knew that when i left there i was going to learn and so when it was after you know my my apprenticeship which i've been at prs at that point probably almost five years you know he was like, you know good luck, thank you, you know, like you, and like I said, I still have a friendship with them yeah. today. Um, That's awesome. Uh, it was a good experience and I, I still can't play guitar. That's why I never left the wood shop. So you have a couple <laughs> of those guitars though, right? So I have I have a couple I have a couple guitars. I actually have a PRS that Paul gave me when I opened my shop as like a, you know, kind of like a key yeah, to yeah, the yeah. town kind yeah. of thing. And, uh, and he painted an orange and a crown on it and stuff. And then I have, um, uh, well, it's it's actually sixes. I have a Kirk Hammett, um, the Caution Hot Black guitar uh, that he gave to Six. I have a, a Kerry King, um, like tribal kind of BC Rich looking model. I got like a handful of them, but I could never leave the finish hall or the uh, wood shop because... I was too rough to be in the finish hall yeah. and I couldn't be in final assembly because I didn't know how to play. So I couldn't. <laughs> so I just lived in the woodshop. You know, I have a guitar purchasing problem. So that's my addiction. <laughs> There's probably 20 floating around here. here. Yeah, but that that could be a that that's a good like um, investment. Though. You know what?
0: I'm going to show you something. So this one that I just showed you has tripled in value since his death, which I'm still mourning. Um, but this is my prized possession because I, I can't, I will never be able to, um, to get another one of these. So it's a 90, uh, no, it's a 2005 Les Paul standard, uh, faded. And I don't like the pick guards and I don't like the glossy finish. I just, I wanted the faded, but we found out my buddy again, the Metallica friend, um, (laughs) that, um, we have these guitar days. So we'll just shut down our businesses for the day and just go on a guitar safari. So we go to a lot to Atomic Music in Beltsville yeah. and just spend all like all day in one yeah. store yeah. and then maybe hop around to a couple other stores. We go to the Bill's Music or a couple of guitar centers yep. and stuff. But uh, we found out that Les Paul at the time, he was 92, still played every week at the Iridium in New York City. And um, we found out that he signed some things. So... I took this guitar up and had him sign it. And oh, wow. he signed it to to Tom, Keep Rock and Les Paul. Now here's the backstory. I had just lost my grandfather. He was ninety three, I think, and uh, broke my he was my one of my best friends. I mean, I loved him. I, I grew up with yeah. him. We lived a mile down the road. Uh, my mom was his bookkeeper for his business, uh, electrical business. He had this big estate. So I grew up the five first in you know, my five my first five years. I was there work, you know, hanging out with her while she was working. Loved him dearly, but the whole entire time we were at the Iridium, I was just like, I feel my grandfather in here, and I'm not that, like, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, I just, I feel like he's in, like, this is weird. I feel, I don't know if it's because he's the same age. I just chalked it up to that. So we were at the end of the line to the meet and greet line, the very, very end. And everyone that met him and had things signed had to walk past us. And everyone was just on cloud nine that they just met him and they got things signed. And everyone that would walk by, like, hey, what did he sign? What did he sign? Every single person, you would write, keep picking Les Paul. You know, whatever your name was, keep picking. Right. Well, my grandfather had this saying to me and me only, keep rocking. Well, I'm meeting Les Paul and Whoa. and I don't, I'm not paying attention. I'm just like, I'm standing here next to the guy that yeah. invented this thing. And I get it back to the hotel room. I open up the case and it says to Tom, keep rocking. And every single person, including my wife who had a pit guard behind me, I'm like, Hey, get, this is the pit guard that came with it. Just get this, you know, have them yeah. sign it to my mom. Um, yeah. Everything was keep picking, and I'm the only one that night that got keep rocking. I didn't ask wow. him to write it. I didn't say anything. How crazy! So I don't know how to explain it. I don't know, <laughs> but this this is that's my prized possession. I never that's play amazing. it either. Yeah, I need a I need yeah, a whammy yeah. bar. I'm a whammy bar guy. So this is yeah. this is a <laughs> fixed tale. Well, listen, man, I appreciate it. Um, we need to
1: get yeah. together sometime. Next time I'm in Annapolis, I'll look you up That's... and we'll do dinner or something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I have not done a show since two Decembers ago, you know, yeah. and even though I have dates set for the summer, they're all Euro festivals. I, there's no way they're going to happen because I, I just saw, like, Paris was about to shut down oh, really? for like a month. Okay. and so, I mean, I'm I'm literally just around, you know. Well, just for
0: the record, I got my vaccination. So, yesterday marks my... Uh, I haven't got mine yet. Off. When we hit the button, I'm going to tell you where to get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need people yelling at me. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I'm all safe. We can hang out and, and uh, go to dinner awesome. or something. I
1: would love that. Yeah, I would love that. Audio <laughs>